wherever you are and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. It's my favorite week of the year. E3, post E3, this is going to be a good one, guys. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Blue Apron and Mac Weldon. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games, and there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. But this week is a special one. It's our E3 wrap-up episode. Ugh. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who celebrated a Father's Day again. My favorite father, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. Yeah, it ended with uh, my oldest and I getting food poisoning, I think. Uh, so if I check out, if I tap out at some point during the show, it's the... It's, uh... You guys um, celebrate weird. It's back, babe. Well, you know, it's like fireworks, you know? We want it to uh, end up quick <laughs> on the top. end with a bang? <laughs> yeah, end with the bang. Um, this week, I'll be in London doing some shows. Thursday, June 22nd is my first one at Backyard Comedy. Wednesday, June 28th, still don't know the details. Uh, I, they're like, yeah, 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 it's coming. And then Thursday, June 29th, I'm doing a show on a spot on The Blackout. So if you're in London, those are that's what I know. I got a couple of things I want to mention right at the top, too. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday of this week, uh, the, what, 20th, I'm going to be on the Co-Optional Podcast with Total Biscuit. Uh, and so ho- hopefully you guys listen to that. Also, hopefully you guys have been listening to my Anchor show, which is called Newest, Latest, Best. It's a daily video game show on the Anchor app. I went crazy during E3. It was awesome. I updated in real time, constantly had a bunch of interviews and stuff. If you download the Anchor app on uh, iOS, there's a feature called Episodes, so you can listen to all of that collected stuff. I just put it all up, so you can listen to it as one big episode if you want to to check out all of my E3 coverage. But it's also a great show if you want to subscribe. Plus, I'm giving away a Switch. I'm giving away a Switch on on Newest, Latest, Best. It's going to be fun. This week, I'm giving away a Switch. So I got myself a Switch. It's not easy to get one of those things, by the way. And I'm giving it away on the, on newest, latest, best. So listen to the show. Today, I'm going to outline how you enter that contest. Uh, it's going to be a trivia trivia contest all week long. And then at the end of the week, I'm giving away a Switch. So you could be the lucky winner of your very own Nintendo Switch. It's not it's no no uh, hook, no bells and whistles. It's not not a fake Switch. It's not like a Switch it Blade. Does come with your Zelda save progress? Like, is it your Switch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, win my Switch. No, it's a brand new in-the-box Freshly minted switch. So that is anchor.fm slash NLB to find it on the web. But I recommend getting the app, downloading that. But this week, as I said, you know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, DLC stands for discussing last week's convention because we had E3 last week. And you know, if you've listened to the show for multiple years, you know there is only one guest we trust to be on the post-E3 episode. And he is back with us again. The tradition continues. Formerly of Yahoo Games, video game man extraordinaire, Ben Silverman. One of my favorite people. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you guys are doing so many things after this. I feel like I need to announce what I'm doing after uh, yeah. we're done recording today. I'm going back to bed. 
and I'm going to be in bed probably for the next seven days. So if anyone wants to visit me, I'll be asleep. You can just, uh, if you tweet at me loud enough, maybe it'll wake me up, but I, I'm wiped out. This was, this was a really, really tiring E3, guys. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, we had, what, 15,000 extra people this year um, because uh, it was open to the public. You've been going to E3 for countless years, as have we. Uh, what what was your take on on the experience this year? Um, yeah, this was my twenty first show. We can just say it twenty first E three. It's it uh, my E three can buy everyone else's E three uh, a beer. I think. <laughs> and you turned twenty two this year, right? Congratulations on that. Yeah, I know it's amazing. I started going when I was one year old. Um, <laughs> uh, I snuck in through the back. Um, so I mean, I think there's a couple ways to to parse this fifteen thousand people thing. There's the how did it inconvenience me as a video game industry professional who's trying to like work the show? And, you know, it was super inconvenient for sure. I mean, the floor was insane, at least on Tuesday, particularly the lines just to get into the convention center itself were absurd. Jeff, you were terrifying me. People were terrifying me with their tweets. I was in my hotel room and I was just seeing all these tweets of like, it's madness down here. Like Andrew Reiner from, uh, from Game Informer. Reiner was like, I'm not, I got, I freaked out and had to leave. And I went back. I'm like, this is Reiner's been to every show. And yeah. he's like panicking and hiding in like the burger joint across the street. So I, there's that part of it. There were way too many people. It reminded me of E3 2006, I think, which was the year like before they shut it down and moved it to Santa Monica as like yeah. a bake sale. Yeah. So like that part of it sucked. But if you kind of take the other side of that and say, you know, 15,000 people paid $250 or more, most of them more to finally get into this show and to see games, I think like it, it's, it makes more sense for E3 to do that. And when you're there and you're walking around, I mean, there, we can talk about all the problems with lines and, and, and what that experience was like. But I think it was the first time where you're like, this has always really been a fan show. It all, it's always felt like a fan show. Like we don't look at the big statues. We walk right past that stuff to our meetings. So in a way it was like, okay, they're, they're, they're pushing into this fan thing. I think the problem was they were trying to do both. And I think you have to do one or the other. Yeah, and and I, you know, we had an interesting post on our subreddit at five-by-five-dlc.reddit.com, uh, five uh, post from Jupiter, Jupiter. Um, he said it was his first E3. He went, he was frustrated by hearing so many press people decry the fans as being, um, you know, a nuisance. He, he was, he said he was really disheartened by that. And he said the industry and their coverage wouldn't exist without us. And he's, he said the, the solution I think a lot of us are, are pointing to, which is Gamescom's solution, which is why not have a couple of days for press and a couple of days for uh, open to the public stuff. I think that would be a really great solution. And I certainly feel bad if anything I've said makes him feel unwelcome or makes it feel like we're trying to take something away from the fans. That is not my intent. It is just this traditionally has been a show that's different from PAX or any of the other fan oriented events where it really is about getting work done and it's much more difficult to get work done with the, with that kind of bloated population just to, to wade through. And uh, it's, it's hard. So I think it, w it would be in their best interest, I think to split it up and have a couple of days dedicated to just letting people get stuff done. Um, and then, you know, and then open it up and have it be this fun fan thing too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't think, I mean, just to the point of like journalists complaining about it, it, there was a lot of complaining. I had some snarky tweets, particularly on Tuesday when it was just like 
the crush of the crowds. Um, I think the problems weren't that there were fans there. I think there just wasn't, no one was kind of prepared for this. Like yeah. the management of the LACC was not, you know, they didn't route people in ways that made sense. It was just sort of like everyone just go and charge through these gigantic halls. And like the booths weren't set up to handle that crush of fans. I, I On the first night, uh, after Tuesday night, uh, Nintendo like furiously reorganized their yeah. booth so that Wednesday and Thursday it would make more sense. And so kudos I- to them because they did a great job. I mean, Tuesday, it was literally just a sea of people at the Nintendo booth. It was unmanageable completely. And kudos to them for like staying up late that night and figuring it out. And they had a structure that really worked for the rest of the show. I mean, it was a six hour line. It was, it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but it's still at least, you know, allowed movement through their booth. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I, I went to my Ubisoft appointment. I, you know, it was supposed to be sort of the, you know, little press media section, which is kind of behind their booth. And there were a trillion people back there. I mean, even that part of, 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 of a major publisher's booth was overcrowded. So they gave me like, I only needed to see Assassin's Creed. I had played some of the other games prior uh, to my meeting. And so they gave me like a fast pass to go out onto the show floor and to cut the line and to go into the front to, to play a game. And I felt terrible about that whole experience. Like I don't re- you know, relish going in front of some fan who's been there for five hours and paid money. And now, you know, a jerk like me just like walks right past him to sit down and play it. Yeah. That I, I don't, we don't enjoy that. It doesn't make me feel good to do that to a fan. At the same time, I like needed to play the game and right. they had screwed up with their booking in the back. So it's just this kind of mishmash doesn't work well. I think that's what this boils down to. And like the journalists were complaining because we don't like to get in the way of the fan experience. You know, we just, as you said, we have to do a job and we're racing around with these schedules that are crazy. And you feel bad when you're bumping through fans. You feel bad when you're late to your appointment. You just feel like you're letting everybody down. And so that was the problem with this year's show, I think. Yeah. Uh, Christian, do you want to weigh in at all? I mean, that's the gist of it is that I felt as if the publishers and developers were not prepared for it to be a public show. And it was kind of, it seemed as if it was decided last minute and some things just didn't work out. I love the idea of it being a public show. Everyone I talked to who was there from the quote unquote public said they were having a great time, even though some people I talked to didn't play anything. I think it still has this air of like, I'm at E3. I think that might change over the years if it remains public and, you know, anyone can go for a while. But this year that, that, the people I talked to, they seemed very happy with it and thought it was cool to be there and to see some of these, you know, games being played. I think if it continues that way, which I do think is the future of this conference in, in some form or fashion, it's going to either, um, uh, West Hall is just press or like you said, the Gamescom route. Uh, people mentioned PAX seems to handle it okay, but PAX doesn't handle, doesn't have the amount of, debuts and as press you're not at least when i go to pax around as many meetings that are as important um there's also PAX's. an order of magnitude more things to do at pax so people as are they out the public yes <laughs> yeah right so you, you have all these panels you can go in and watch and so there's well you know you're on the show floor and it's packed at pax but there's like you know 1500 people in a room somewhere watching a thing you know that's it's it's a lot more spread out and compartmentalized yeah, I just don't think the convention was ready for it, but they felt like they needed to do it. And hopefully they'll figure it out. Like you said, Nintendo did a great job adjusting. This is going to sound bad because people are going to say I'm a Sony fanboy. If they want to pay me, I'll take their money. My opinions won't change, but I'll take their money. Microsoft's booth did not handle it well. It was not set up for the public the way I felt. And getting in there and walking around through the crush of people, it was 
It was a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Nintendo did a great job rearranging after the first day. Yeah, Microsoft it, likes those lines. I mean, I think they actually said that to somebody like, you know, when we see those lines that are really big, it, it indicates that people are interested in our stuff. Like it, it's a little evil, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing here is that like, if you compare it to something like Comic-Con where there are a billion people and it's press and, and, you know, public at the same time, I mean, to Jeff's point, you're not, you're not all going for the same booth. You're not all going for this in the same direction, in the same sea. And then once you get there, you have to split up. Like it either has to take up a lot more room or maybe like take some of that GDC approach where some meetings are over in hotels. Some stuff is at the actual convention center. It's just, it's not set up for this many people. Yeah. I mean, Comic-Con is the exact opposite situation, right? They don't care at all if you're press. It's not a press event. It's a fan event. And Mm -hmm. the press just decided to start covering it because so much stuff was happening there. And Comic-Con could not care less that you're pressed. They're like, no, you're standing in line like everybody else. There's no special treatment. And that's cool. I, I'm fine with that at Comic-Con. No, that's not 100% true, though. Like, I, it's I, pretty true, dude. There's there's press rooms where you do – fans cannot wait to do it – cannot wait in line to interview uh, right, but that Goth is, after a panel in a room that has a Comic-Con backdrop where he goes from Collider to Slash Film to IGN. To, that's no, press. but that's, that is not a the typical press experience at – Talking about press at E3 and press at, at Comic-Con is completely – anyway, we don't need to talk about this. Sure, sure. It's right, whatever. different rabbit hole. The more interesting discussion is uh, the games. Games. Let's talk about games because, um, you know, I, I kind of just wanted to touch on the show as a whole because, you know, we had this post on our subreddit and people have been talking about it. But uh, I think the more fun discussion was the fact that I, I think this year had some incredible games. We all came away really blown away by – just the breadth and scope of some of the stuff we were seeing stuff that's coming out this year. And like we did last year uh, on, on this wrap up episode, we're going to start at the top. We're going to start with the best of the best and start with our game of show uh, and then move on through all the stuff that we had hands on with all the stuff we saw, try to get as much in this episode as we can. But uh, Christian and I, as you know, we uh, give our DLC game of show. We call it the sweetest award in gaming. It's the game that takes the cake Literally, because we give away a cake. That is our game of the show award. And this year, Christian, who do we give the award to? Insomniac Games is Spider-Man and Marvel's Spider-Man. Our rule is that the game either needs to be playable or live played in front of us. So it can't just be just a trailer. I don't remember when we adopted that rule, but that was our rule last year and this year at least. And um, Spider-Man, there are a lot of worthy games, but holy moly, Spider-Man blew me away. It did. Me too. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that and other contenders for that crown. But right now, I actually have audio of us awarding the the award to uh, the folks at Insomniac, including the creative director of Spider-Man, Brian Intihar. So listen to that now. So Christian, you and I are here with the team for Spider-Man awarding our game of show award, which we call the sweetest award in gaming. Because it is this. God. It's dense. It Are is you big. Me? Is it dense? Are you serious? Oh, oh my oh, God. Oh, yeah. Brian Intahar, creative director on Spider Man. Congratulations. Thank you. 
for Game of Show 2017 from DLC. So can I tell you a little secret? Please. So I, I've been stalking your uh, Twitter feed, and you said something else about a game you really liked yesterday, and I was like, he's going to give Game of Show to that. <laughs> well, what you need to know about Jeff is that every game he walks out of, he'll tweet it's his Game of Show. That's my running joke with Christian. Is okay. like, that's new money Game I, of Show. Because I, I, I caught it, I was like, and I almost texted him like, we're not going to win. <laughs> we're not going to win. We're not going to win. We had a text awesome. string today after I walked out. I was like, Jeff, I don't know what you have left to show today, but can we just give our cake to Spider-Man? Yeah, so I think we good. both we both agreed unanimously that the, the game is amazing, spectacular, amazing. web of. It's in stereo. So congratulations. Thank you. It's a, it's an amazing honor. I mean, uh, James and I and some of the other Somniacs are here, but this is really a testament to our team. Uh, I just get up there and can say a couple of things without stumbling too much, um, but it really is all them. It's They deserve all the credit. Um, they make my job so much easier, and they inspire me um, more than I could ever inspire them. So it's just uh, all the credit to our team at Burbank. They're, they're rock stars. Well, we give this to you with one sincere hope that we will not see the game at next year's E3. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 2019. Let's <laughs> give it a year. Let's right. give it a year. <laughs> so there you have it. Game of show for our show. Uh, DLC's game of show is Spider-Man from Insomniac Games. Uh, really cool. Uh, they... They definitely ate that cake. We saw pictures of them eating the cake. And, uh, you know, I think the game deserves it. As Christian said, we really do hold ourselves to the fact that the game has to – we have to see the game being played. Uh, We have to be in a room with someone with a controller playing the game, whether it's us or someone else. So that invalidated games like uh, God of War and and Anthem – but I don't think that that makes this game any less deserving because Spider-Man blew us away. I think it's it's. We hope it is coming out in the early part of next year, but I fear it will be at actually at next year's E3 um, because it probably won't be until fall of next year. But man, as a as a Marvel zombie from way back and somebody that loves Marvel and Spider-Man in particular, I'm just over the moon for this game. Uh, what did you think of it, Ben? Uh, well, first of all, hats off to Brian Intihar, former journalist yeah he made the, made the translation it is so nice seeing one of us do something this amazing uh he is no longer one of us by the way he's, he's <laughs> on the other side different kind of beast now um I, it was one of my favorite games there uh uh absolutely i think what really stood out to me about it wasn't just the fact that we haven't seen like a, a really truly great spider-man since spider-man 2 which everyone likes to talk about um and so i think it pulled on our heartstrings in that sense i think what really kind of nailed it home for me is that when you think of a superhero game, you think of a game that can really harness the thing that we love about that hero. So with Batman, with the Arkham games, it's all about, you know, melee combat and gadgetry. And when you think about Spider-Man, you think of kind of dexterity and, and agility and being able to move quickly and deal with crowds of enemies in a, in a quick way that makes sense different than Batman. It's not just about sheer power. It's about creatively, dealing with enemies and they hit that just on the head perfectly. It just, you feel like when you're watching somebody play it and like you, I did see someone with a controller doing all that stuff that people saw at the press conference. Like we saw it live. We saw them take, I saw them take an alternate path and do a couple other fights. Um, it just looks so fun. And I know that a lot of people are sort of iffy about the quick time element thing. I'm not, I don't care. That looked like a small piece of this pie. And and I it mean, this cake. was it was a cake, a cake. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, you know, pie cake, you know, I mean, maybe there was fruit in your cake. That would kind of make it a half pie. I don't know what's in there. How dare you say there was fruit in your cake? (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, I, well, I was going to give out pie of show, so um, <laughs> I had to throw my pie away after you guys did the cake, so I'm a little bitter. Um, yeah, it looks beautiful. And it's, I mean, I just don't know how Insomniac does this. They're, they're working on like 30 games. Like, when did yeah. they become the company that can do 30 games at the same time? It just feels like they have so many projects. I, I was unprepared for it to look this good. I thought this was supposed to be, from start to finish, a sucker punch game. I didn't think Insomniac was going to be able to to rise to this level. And uh, boy, they really showed something special. It's an, an amazing looking game. No yeah. pun intended. Christian, you want to add anything there? No, it looks incredible. And in my playthrough, um, I believe the gentleman's name playing was Scott. Uh, he messed up twice. The, the second time he messed up, I heard, I, I always sit by the person playing. He goes, ah, <laughs> like he was playing the game. Yeah. He got hit by a thug in that early part. And um, I showed the trailer to my daughter when I got home because she loves Spider-Man. I think I posted like a gif of her like best reactions. And she's like covering her eyes, throwing her hands up. She like reaches over and gives me a high five. It's it's just stunning. It's stunning. And, you know, uh, people might say, oh, well, the game's going to be LQTs. You have to realize we're not awarding game of year. This is game of show. We have been doing this long enough that we can usually extrapolate out what we think a finished game will be. But this is game of show, game of E3. This isn't the best thing I've ever played, whatever, whatever, whatever. And what they showed and how it played and how it looked and what it looks like and what they said about the game, more importantly. Yeah, and, and he was goal very, for it. It's awesome. He was very explicit that that uh, the QTEs are not the main part of the game, that those are the exception, that the main part of the game is all that other stuff you saw, which is sort of a little Batman Arkham Knight, but as Ben was saying, sort of done with more speed and agility than even Batman has. You know, Batman's sort of a big bruising tank kind of guy. And to see how they adapted that fluidity of action that really, you know, Rocksteady kind of figured out, how they adapted that to a much faster character who is more improvisational than Batman, I just was so impressed by that. And and it really felt like Peter Parker is constantly just figuring it out. Like he's just, he's just on the fly, like, Oh, maybe I'll use that now. Maybe. And, and it's sort of almost on the edge of being out of control. And that just, it just felt so evocative of, of how the character is in my imagination. And as I'm reading the comics. So anyway, great game. Uh, ben, what would you consider to be your game of show? Have you thought about that? Have you awarded a game of show? Well, to, to Christian's point, like, I, I think that, your definition of game of show can be so many different things because sure. we're not talking about game of the year where you're, you know, you're going to be like, I played 300 hours of Breath of the Wild is incredible. It's the game of the year. Like there are different kinds of game of show winners based on those parameters. So, you know, you could look at a game like, um, Beyond Good and Evil 2, which, you know, I saw a tech demo of, which we, we could talk about later. Um, you know, there wasn't much to play there, but the ambition is, is unbelievable. And it was the game that I came away from thinking, you know, this is going to take four more years for them to make. I was so stunned by it. It was surprising. It was like in my mind, kind of wandering around the entire show. Uh, you could look at a game like Echo Arena, which I'd love to talk about, which was my favorite VR experience there that looks like one of the coolest VR games I've ever seen. It's doing some really great stuff. You can look at a game like Spider-Man. You could look at a game like God of War, which was just a trailer and say, well, that's the one I want to play most. So I don't know where, where you draw the lines. Um, but for me, I, I tend to come back to the game that kind of does a little bit of all of it. Like it's playable. It's coming out relatively soon, but not next week. It's, you know, I, I was able to play it myself and I got a sense for what it is. 
I think undoubtedly it's Super Mario Odyssey. Um, wow. I think for me, that game delivers on, I mean, it's been, you know, what I think they said 15 years since the last sandbox 3D Mario. Uh, I, you know, I, I would kind of throw the galaxies in there. I mean, I think that goes back to Sunshine. I would actually throw the galaxies in there as sort of being that same kind of game. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, and I just think like, you know, we've seen so many different kinds of platformers over the years and, and these guys are just masters at it. And I've never seen a Mario game this dense before. It really feels like just within like a 20 yard radius of you at any point. And I only played, you know, two levels of this thing, but at any point there's just stuff to interact with and things to do and surprises and all these crazy moves with Mario and the hat and then the classic Mario motions and, and then kind of this wild creativity about how you interact with the game and, and, and I think just sort of, again, extrapolating what this experience is going to be like from start to finish, it takes me back to what Breath of the Wild did last year, which was, again, a very small slice of this game, but it got your mind wandering. Um, boy, there's going to be a lot here. And I think with Mario, they're, they're taking some lessons from Breath of the Wild in terms of, you know, it feels like there's just a billion prototypes built into this game. I think they even yeah. said, you know, that's how they kind of built it. And in a similar sense, it felt like that's what they did with Breath of the Wild, where all of those shrines are kind of gameplay prototypes that they're just kind of trying out and letting you play with. That's what it feels like they're doing with Mario. I think that game showed impeccably. I think it, 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 it's, you know, gonna sell systems. And this, this was, I think, a big proving story for, for Nintendo was what were they gonna do at E3 this year? Uh, and I don't think that game could have looked any better. Uh, I think it's, it's gonna be, you know, one of the game of the year contenders for sure, unless something goes horribly awry. And it could. New Donk City. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That, the humans are creepy. So Super creepy. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna, I loved it. I'm going to say something a little controversial in that I, I came away a little less than impressed with Mario Odyssey. <gasps> I know. I know. Um, I played the same two levels you did. Um, and it was weird. You know, I had – it was behind closed door or in Nintendo's like, you know, press area. And I had a handler. I'm sure you did too. And my handler was a little overbearing, <laughs> like too handily. They were handling you too yeah, much. Yeah, like you know, there's a very fine line between being helpful and just like telling you where to go and what to do. And it, it, the so the experience wasn't great. And she was like really, really intensely pushing the motion controls on me, which I'm never going to be playing this game flicking my wrists. I'm just not. I'm mm -hmm. I'm going to be using the buttons, and you can you can use the buttons, but there's a bunch of gesture controls for Mario to flick his hat and do spin attacks and stuff. And I think it's really cool that Mario, at all times in this game, or it seems like at all times, has a ranged attack. Like, that's new. You know, usually Mario, to get a ranged attack, has to get a special power-up, you know, the flower or whatever. Uh, and the hat is all it, – so it changes the game fundamentally to always be able to get to something that's far away from you. It's cool, but – I'm not going to be flicking my wrist to do that. I'm just, I'm just, not, I'm not going to be playing with the two Joy Cons separated. I, I'm going to be playing with the Pro controller that's or you know attached to the system itself, in handheld mode. Anyway, I know those are nits to pick, uh, but it kind of put a weird spin on my experience. But also, it the game feels like this crazy, weird, disparate mashup of a bunch of. of crazy ideas. And I know that's kind of what you were saying too. Like it looks like a bunch of weird game prototypes all put together. And a lot of people really like that about it. And I think there is a positive way to look at that, but I, you know, there's a, a quest that I pick up from the mayor of new donk city to go collect musicians. And it was just like, what is this even what's happening? And it, the city itself felt 
just weirdly proportioned to Mario and jumping around in it felt odd and off. The other level, the sort of sand, uh, like Latin deserty level that they showed was really cool. And I think all the possession stuff that you do, you know, you can take, use the hat to take possession of all these crazy things and, you know, you can take possession of, of uh, Bullet Bill and all these all these characters that you sort of in, innately know because of decades of playing Mario games. So it's kind of cool. You can take possession of them. You know their their moveset. You know exactly how they behave. It, there's no learning curve there. And that's a really clever twist on the Mario formula. But I think the New Donk City stuff really landed on me in a strange way. And I came away much less impressed than you, I think. Oh, I think that point, uh, just, uh, I know Christian, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well, but just I think that point about Nintendo's demoing techniques is, it, that's a big one. And I think I, 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 I could see that coloring the, um, experience for you. Nintendo sometimes has a problem in their, the people who, who demo these games are like obviously overly enthusiastic Nintendo employees or yeah. something. Yeah, and they're like, fans. Yeah. yeah, they're like super fans and they're like smiling at you the whole time. And they're trying to get you to smile the whole time. And you're like, stop it. Like, <laughs> I just want to play the game and I'll decide how I feel about it. And yeah. they're kind of egging you on. I actually had a guy who was quiet. Oh, that's good. The entire time. And I played through each section twice. And I think maybe that was the difference is that I got to sort of say, you know, okay, well, I did this on my first little 10 minute slice of this level. I did something different on the second 10 minute slice of the level and experienced totally different things. And I'm like, that is so new for me for Mario to look at it and to say, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what this experience is going to be like that. I find thrilling out of Mario. I mean, I've been playing Mario games for 30 years or whatever. Like this is an exciting new way to look at this game. Um, in the same way that it was exciting, an exciting new way to look at Zelda. Um, so I, I'm I'm turned on by it also, I think, because this is Nintendo's new blood doing their thing, right? This isn't Miyamoto. This isn't, you know, rest in peace, Awada and that that old guard. Right. Um, this is part of their new kind of rebirth with, with younger developers, given, you know, the people who've worked on it or have been there for 20 years or something. They've not come out sort of like this before. Um, so there's going to be some weird stuff in the game. Uh, I agree. The new Donk City, there's some proportional things there that are really creepy, but but I'm all in. I, I think it's going to be at the end of the day, you know, start to finish. It looks like it's going to be a really rad video game. So that that was sort of, yeah, the one at the top of my head. Christian, did you play it? What did you think? I did. I played only the Red Desert level. Um, I did not play New Donk. I watched uh, New Donk be played. And I, I think I think it's like Metro Castle or whatever it was called. To me, I feel like everything said about the game sounds incredible, and I think I'm going to love the game, and it's a game of the year contender. I think I leaned more towards Jeff in that I thought it didn't demo well. And Ben, I think the fact that you were able to play each scenario twice is is big. I was only able to play the desert level one time through, 10 minutes, and then kind of move on, and then I watched uh, someone else play the New Donk. And I think my problem with New Donk is that it, it graphically doesn't look good. Like, you start giving me what should be photorealistic things, like people taxi cabs uh new york city buildings and like the taxi cabs don't animate smoothly as they drive across the ground the humans look weird uh as you interact with them like they're the things of nightmares i'm just gonna flat out <laughs> say it they're the things of nightmares um in the desert level felt like some classic mario to me like moving platforms that drop off ledges that you're you know needing to possess this character to then get this secret thing um and i and I thought that felt pretty cool, but it, I wasn't I wasn't blown away by it just because 
in that one playthrough, everything kind of gives you a moon. Like, I remember, to me, Mario games is like, okay, you get the one shine or whatever they call it. That's easy. The next one's a little harder. The third one's hard. And then, like, the bonus stuff is really hard. And here, I swear I just picked up a rock. And it was like, you got a moon! And it was like a Karaku nut or whatever they're called in Zelda. And they were like, yeah, yeah. I think that's the idea, kind of. Yeah, they're everywhere. And I was like, oh, okay cool, I guess. Like, I didn't feel satisfaction from that thing, but then you keep playing. So I think that when you're actually able to spend time with this game and really dive into how densely packed um, the levels are and how diverse that density is, I think it could blow people away. But with just my 10 minutes with the game, I was like, yeah, okay. It's kind of how I walked away from it. Yeah, I mean, the, the to the point also, yeah, about the moons, right? It, I felt a little bit the same way where I was like, oh, good, another moon. Oh, look, another moon. Oh, my God, I have 12 moons. I've been playing this game for 10 minutes. I have 12 moons. But I wonder if some of that was also a little bit of sort of a vertical slice thing where they, you know, I, I don't know how much they were sort of thinking of the fan aspect of this, but they sort of do that with their demos where it's kind of like they want to make sure that you get you feel rewarded. I mean, maybe maybe if you were a fan and you waited for seven hours and you played the game and you got six moons, you'd feel good about yourself. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if yeah. they were that thoughtful. I, I, I wouldn't put it past them. They are very strategic and cagey with how they handle E3, um, more so than a lot of companies. So I, I don't know if, again, that was by design or if, yeah, we're going to play a game, we're going to get like literally 1200 moons and the moons aren't going to matter as much as stars mattered in uh in 64 i don't know um but but yeah i think playing it twice i think for sure you know informed me in ways that maybe if you just got that super enthusiastic demo walkthrough that's like really irritating and you just got stuck staring at the like the most horrifying musicians of all time in new dong city i was like i couldn't tell if it was just bad character design it felt vaguely racist like there were all kinds of like made me feel really uncomfortable it's weird but yeah but but from a gameplay perspective i was really i was in All right, well, we got lots more games, including some other Game of the Year contenders to get to. But I do need to thank our sponsor. This is my favorite sponsor to talk about. I I can really tell you very few things, maybe nothing. I venture to say nothing has changed my life more than Blue Apron. Uh, I love Blue Apron. I use it every week. Uh, My wife and I just build our lives around the recipes that we get to cook based on our Blue Apron delivery. And Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They give you stuff to cook in a box. And it's so great. I mean, I wanted to be somebody that cooked at home, but it just wasn't happening because I'm just overwhelmed by picking out something to to make. Uh, You know, you go online and you're like, okay, I want to make chicken. What do I do? Chicken recipe. And there's like 8 billion chicken recipes. Oh, God. And then I got to go to the store and then I got to buy the ingredients and then I buy this special ingredient for this one recipe and now I have a whole bunch of it left over and I feel bad because it's going rotten in the refrigerator and it's just a Blue Apron if you're listening we're going to film this and you don't realize how great Jeff is going to be at the before and after infomercial guy like before <laughs> well, it's, like, it's, it's my girl. actual life it's my I actual know. That I, I know that and that's why I want to see it on TV <laughs> well, Blue Apron <laughs> solves those problems because they give you recipes uh, you don't have to decide what to order and the recipes are really good and it's cool now they have up to eight recipes and you can select uh, three of them per week so you have this great variety I-, I think maybe i've had in the what three years that i've been doing Gre- blue apron i think i've had a repeat recipe twice and that's 
52 weeks a year for three years. That's pretty darn good. And that's three recipes a week. Um, and, and all of the recipes are so good and so interesting. There's some coming up this week. I just got a peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. That sounds pretty awesome. Uh, elote style vegetable tostadas with summer squash, poblano peppers, and cilantro rice. Come on. That's like gourmet stuff. My wife and I often turn to each other and go, man, if we'd got this in a restaurant, we would think that it was the best restaurant. I mean, these are delicious recipes. Plus, they're inexpensive. It works out to like 10 bucks a meal per person, which you're not going to get at a restaurant that gives you that nice of food. And it's so convenient. It's It shows up all by itself. It's free shipping. It comes in this cool container. You you have everything you need and you don't have extra of what you need. If you need an egg, they send you one egg. You're not going to get a, a dozen eggs that are just going to go bad in your in your fridge. These are uh, fresh ingredients. They are sourced from local farms, 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. The seafood is sustained. You know, it has sustainability standards. Just really great stuff. So you have affordability, you have variety, you have flexibility, and you change your life because you become better at cooking things. You eat better. You know, they say the, the best way to eat healthy is to cook yourself because you see everything that's going into your food. That's the case here, man. I, I absolutely love Blue Apron. And the best part is we are going to give you three free meals just because you listen to the show. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash DLC, B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash DLC. And you'll get three free meals sent to your door for free. You'll love how good it feels, how great it tastes. I'm telling you, I begged for these guys to sponsor our show because I love this so much. Blueapron.com slash DLC. All right, we're back talking about potential games of the show. And I recognize Mario Odyssey is, you know, atop a lot of people's lists as it is Ben's. But the Mario game that surprised me and Actually, I was talking to Christian about it maybe being our game of show is Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which we had heard there was a leak. Uh, Ubisoft, you know, was going to be teaming up with Mar- with uh, Nintendo to do a Mario game. Kind of a big deal. But I think all of us, at least I won't speak for anybody other than myself. When I heard it, I was like, I really couldn't care less about the Rabbids. This doesn't sound like a game that's going to matter to me at all until they showed it and I played it. And it's XCOM with Mario characters. And of all the games at the show, the only game I went and sought out to play twice was Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle because I had so much fun playing that demo. I can't wait for this game. It's coming soon. It looks beautiful. They do this cool, like, shallow depth of field look in the world. It's all colorful and great. I am so in for this game. I can't wait for it. Am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, it's it's so stupid, but... <laughs> It is. I mean, it's totally stupid, but it's totally stupid and looks totally fun. I agree. I agree. It's it's a, uh, you know, you go to E3 and you hope to be surprised. You hope to see things that you haven't seen before. And given there was a bit of a leak about this, I think everybody thought that leak was fake. Like, I think everyone was like, there's no way. There's literally no way they're going to do this. And then Miyamoto hops on stage at the Ubisoft press conference and we're like, oh, my God, this is a real thing. Um, and yeah, I played it as well and had a lot of fun with it. It's really... You know, XCOM is great. I, I love the XCOM games, especially uh, the rebooted ones, which I think, um, you know, a little more polished than some of the old XCOMs that I also love. Um, 
but they're heavy, you know, and yeah. you, you feel sort of the weight of them and they're incredibly difficult and uh, you feel the weight of that too. And this sort of feels like, you know, it's the Nintendo version of that and they're really good at keeping things light and playful and kind of balancing that difficulty with, you know, making you feel like you're accomplishing something at the same time. I think that's a, a tough trick for a tactical strategy game, which often tend to either be like, you know, punishing or way too easy. And this felt like it might be right in the middle. So that, I think it's totally interesting. I, I don't know if it would be my favorite thing at the show, but um, yeah, man, really, who, how much mushroom, how many mushrooms <laughs> did they take to come up with this thing? I don't know where that came from. It was crazy. Right. The other thing that I thought the game did really interestingly is it moves you around, it moves your characters around the battle arena area much more than XCOM does. You have so much more distance that you can travel in a given turn. And I feel like that shortens the battles too. And it makes things, keeps things moving. Like you're able to get your characters, you can tag team them up. So if you, you know, have one character run to the, to the square that another character is on, they like roll onto their back and use their legs to jettison the other character forward. And then you can also like move through the enemy space and do this cool slide attack, which lets you keep going and move to another spot. And there's like pipes, you know, Mario style pipes that you can jump into and that puts you far away on the other side of the map and only use one move to get there. So lots of really cool ways to just get your characters all over the map fast. And I think that's going to make the battles move quicker and make the game just feel like it's more alive and, and faster paced. Yeah, like this style of game is not for me. It's not something that I'm craving or seeking out the, you know, the XCOM or, you know, tactical strategy type game often. But when you texted me that you were considering this, I was totally on board for it to be game of show because what I love about it is it's so well polished. Um, it is tight. It is beautiful. It's doing something new and exciting with a character that we've grown up with since, you know, day zero. And it's putting that world in a new spotlight as well that we haven't seen this type of thing with all the things Mario's done from be a doctor to drive go-karts, play baseball. Like you haven't seen this approach to the character and to have it be done in a way that looks like it's nailing it the first time out of the gate, I think is really, really impressive. So like if you, you know, planted your flag on that and said like this is going to be our game of show, I, I easily would have been convinced, especially because how much, you know, I know that you know that type of game. And so for you to say like this game does that well, I'd be like, yeah, 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 I'm on board. Well, I want to throw out two other games that made my short list for potential game of show uh, with, if you, you know, keep in mind our, stipulation that you have to see somebody play it or play it yourself. These are the other two games that I was considering. And then I let you guys uh, bring up other ones that maybe you were considering. Um, Star Wars Battlefront 2, I think showed really, really well. I had an odd moment at the EA press conference, I think. But behind closed doors, uh, I know, um, Ben, you saw it. We were both there. I managed to get in um, after you left and uh, got to play the single-player content. Um, and, I mean, I just... As a Star Wars fan, it looks so great. It is that wish fulfillment that I always wanted. It just, it, I think it's going to be awesome. But it's kind of weird thinking of that as game of show because EA wasn't at the show. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of felt weird. But yeah, definitely the game was at the show. The game was at the show in a big way, even if EA wasn't. So yeah, they could, right. it couldn't be publisher of show, but they could still be game of show. <laughs> right. Um, I had a weird experience with my single player demo of that because I was, it was like me and one other game journalist. And then I can't remember her name, but the woman who plays the lead character, J right. what's her name? 
Oh, um, you put me on the spot. I don't know it either. Starts with a J. Um, who came out and did the whole presentation for it? Yeah, she was awesome. She was totally awesome. However, the demo that I got was me, one of the game journalists, and then her sitting in between us, and then like behind her, half of the voice and mocap cast. So like the guy who played Darth Maul is like behind me. So during my single player walkthrough, um, they were like whooping and hollering and like <laughs> laughing at in jokes that they had, like when they were doing the filming of things. And it was, it's kind of like your Nintendo meeting. It totally affected. <laughs> I was like, Hey, can you guys settle down? I'm just trying to look at the, like, you got a droid. You threw the droid at someone. I'm trying to like ask the developer questions like at during this demo. So I, I, I was, and between that and then the big stage show that was like weirdly esportsing, and I was like, this is yeah. not an esports game. Stop doing the esports thing. Um, between all of that, I was just kind of weirdly turned off by it. And then I played, I actually got hands on with the single player with headphones on and sh- no one was yelling at me. And I was like, yeah, this is like dark forces. I'm totally in. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the chat has your back. Uh, Janina Gavankar. Yes, thank you. I could not remember her name, and I, I'm not Googling anything right now. But yeah, she was totally nice and totally pleasant and was talk, talkative and, and, and obviously is a huge fan of it. But it was, it was, a, little, it was a little challenging trying to yeah. get game demo next door. <laughs> uh, the other game that I – this points to what Christian is always talking about, about how it's not this objective game of the year, game of the show. It's, it's favorite. It's your favorite. But I feel like if I was totally objective, I would have given much more weight to Shadow of War because I think that game showed really, really well. They had – I mean basically the whole game, there playable. I mean you could do so much in, in the demo for a long period of time. And it is in a, in a in a gaming environment where so many games are just making little tweaks to things or kind of doing what they've done before. I mean, Far Cry 5 like looks crazy, but it's basically Far Cry with a different skin, right? And in a lot of ways, Star Wars Battlefront is that. You know, it's it's a shooter with a Star Wars skin, and I'm excited about it, but Shadow of War is actually doing something no one else is doing. And I I think if I wasn't so just tired of that IP, and for some reason I am just not interested in interacting with orcs and having a ring of power and all of that stuff. If, if that game was the exact same game, but looked like horizon zero dawn or something, you know, like was in a world that was sci-fi or different in some way, I think I would be shouting from the rooftops how brilliant it is, but because I'm just sort of done with Mordor and every time they show like a new orc, they look spectacular. Like graphically they're amazing, but I'm like, I don't care about orcs. I just don't want to deal with orcs. But the game, like the the systems that they're introducing are so interesting and the way you take down fortresses and it's sort of this like board game, you know, strategy layer that you, you take into account and the way that the nemesis system remembers all of the things you do, whether you fail or succeed and all of that stuff. Nobody's doing that. And I think the game really deserves more credit than I give it for sure. Yeah, that was one game I didn't get. That's like my, the one that I didn't get hands-on time with that I wanted to. I ran over there Thursday trying to squeeze it in between two things, and I was, can I just get in real quick? And the, the very polite woman working the desk just smiled and said, no, your experience with this game will not be a quick one. You're welcome to come in, but we're not going to like rush you through it. Like 
And I was like, okay. So I had like this moment of deciding what do I do? But this game's out soon. I loved the first one. And I, I'm curious, Jeff, like I'm just going to press you a little bit and then Ben can chime in. I don't think we've seen a lot of this uh, environment or atmosphere in games recently. Like I don't know how many Middle Earth games there are that are, are big properties. I mean, yeah, maybe I don't know how not, many orcs. Maybe I'm it's seeing. not so much uh, fatigue as it is just I don't like being there. It's It just feels gross to hang out with the or I just it's not a milieu that I am enjoying anymore you know it, got it the main character isn't very evocative or interesting like his powers are cool but I would rather hang out with Aloy you know like I, I don't know it just well the, yeah this the, one the seems settings. interesting too because like I feel like I don't know if they're doing a trilogy or not or if you guys got word of it but this feels like the dark middle chapter where it's you know there will always be evil in the world. If I go down to hell and kill Lucifer, I become Lucifer. Like it, the impression I got from this game was like, oh yeah, you're going to be doing some bad things to some bad people, but like you're still a bad person yourself. Like this yeah. isn't saving the world per se. This is, you know, rally your squad and go kick some butt. I'm curious, uh, Jeff and Ben, if you played it, how it handles the flow of like that beautiful combat and it's so intricate where you can like shoot an arrow and travel the world on your arrow or whatever to get leverage on an enemy but then also balancing out what almost seemed like an rts approach where you know you're planning your attack does that break flow to this game at all or does it kind of work seamlessly um i mean i i think those are two sort of different things in the way that they're demoed like um the combat is still seamless and in fact that concept of, you know, flying across a battlefield by using your, you know, shadow kill or whatever it was called with the arrow. Um, that's still very much there. And I think the combat's, it's even beefier. I mean, they've gone even further, you know, with obviously the, the combos and how they're all set up and different combo moves you can do. And then as Jeff, you know, alluded to all the new systems with gems to upgrade your weapons and all the new weapons and all the RPG depth they're kind of adding to this thing. It's just layers upon layers upon layers. Just when you are dealing with five orcs, there's so many ways to deal with those five orcs. I think the fortress stuff you know, sort of pops you out into a different menu where you can select these different, you know, who do you want to bring with you? What powers do you want to bring? Like you can, you know, have a fortress siege where you have a drake, uh, literally a dragon that's like flying around torching things. Come um, on. That's awesome. It is awesome. Totally awesome. And you can actually, if you injure that drake enough, which is interesting because he's like on your side, you can then jump onto his back and fly around on the back of a drake torching an orc fortress that you're trying to take over. I am serious. This is an incredible game in terms of how many things they're throwing at you. But to Jeff's point about the lore, I'm, I totally agree. Like I was exhausted with middle earth by the time shadow of Mordor came out. Like I was like, we got to do this again. Like, I feel like I've played so just, I've just been in like since 2004, I think was when return of the King came out. Like this is this version of middle earth has been mined. I mean, you go to an, you know, go on a plane, you open the in-flight magazine, there's like, you know, a million swords and rings you can buy. Like it's still just <laughs> yeah. being monetized. It's just everywhere that Peter Jackson's vision is still just like, that's the vision now. So I kind of feel like I'm, I'm on Jeff's, I'm on the same wavelength with Jeff as far as being like, not, not that enthused about the story or the ring or, or the dark, you know, dark Lord and Sauron and how we, and the ring rates, like I get it. And we also know that this is set in between, you know, this is not yet, we're, we're not even up to the fellowship of the ring. So we know this isn't going to end well. Like we know we're not going to win, you know, yeah. like it's, it's headed that way. So, 
So I agree that the lore kind of turns me off, but Monolith is just like, you don't see game developers, usually they double down on what works. These guys are doubling down on what works, and then they're throwing in 40 things that they have no idea if it's going to work. And to be able to, to make a game that both feels safe and risky at the same time is is so bold. I don't I don't know how they're doing it, um, but yeah, I, I can't wait to play it. I think it's going to be an incredible game. I think. What other highlights from the show, uh, Ben? Do you have that uh, maybe we haven't brought up yet? Well, I mentioned it briefly, but um, Echo Arena, and I don't know if you played this, Jeff. Did you play is this? this? The, the multiplayer for Lone Echo. It's the multiplayer for Lone Echo, and it yeah. didn't get it got very very little recognition at the show. Well, doesn't um, that come out tomorrow? Yeah, it might even be out. I don't. I don't know. I think it comes um, out the twentieth, but it might. I might be wrong. Yeah, it's coming out real soon. And this was a shocker for me. So I actually saw this at um, the pre E three Game Critic Judge Week thing, uh, which was in Los Angeles. Uh, we had seen fourteen different companies who showed at E three came by. Um, Oculus didn't have much of a presence. VR didn't have much of a presence at the show, and uh, I think that was surprising to to everybody. Maybe not so surprising when you look at the sales. Um, at the same time, uh, I didn't really have a lot of expectations going into this game. It's a multiplayer component of a single-player game. That sounds kind of dodgy already. Um, and it's five-on-five five Ender's Game training sequences. Dude. Right. Dude. It's it's a dude, dude. It's a double <laughs> dude. It's a double duder. So I think one of the things it does so amazingly well is like, all that social talk that Zuckerberg loves to, you know, yammer on about, oh, it's going to change when you're socializing, it's going to change everything. And, you know, they updated, you know, all the Rift stuff so that you can actually sort of interact with people. This one nails it where, you know, five of you kind of launch into an arena, you're using the Oculus Touch so you can see all your arms waving around. You see, you hear everybody's voice of each character. Locomotion, which is such a problem with VR, is handled because you're in this low grab space. And so zero grab space, I guess. And so you're, you're grabbing onto walls and like with both hands and kind of just shoving off of these walls and then floating through the air. You have wrist rockets that are sort of mounted on your wrist so you can course correct as you're floating around. And all you're trying to do is grab a ball and throw it to, you know, through a, you know, a goal at the other side of the arena. And these are pretty big spaces. Like it's not tight, you know, there's, it's 10 people in there. Um, it was one of the first VR experience I've had really in, you know, since the, the launch with games like Lucky's Tale or, or whatever that kind of blew our mind, uh, that, that got me excited about VR again in a real way in like, a I could play this with friends. I don't, I mean, I don't know how you're ever going to get 10 people, you know, on a riff together. I mean, I, I have like five friends and we're never online at the same time, Jeff. Like yeah. I never see anybody online, but this was a, a, a proof of concept to me. And this is actually coming out. It'll be a real thing that I, I would play it in an arcade. I would play it with game journalists. I would play it with my wife. I would play this with anybody who is willing to play it with me. And I mean, I played it with 10 other game journalists and at this entire week, we had played a million games. This was during the destiny Two launch week uh, where they had that big event. This was the game we were all like ready to go back and play. Wow. Um, it says awesome. something about how, how great the design is, but it got very little press. And again, I don't think it's going to VR has so many other problems with it right now. I don't think it's going to move the needle. I think it's going to definitely go under the radar. I think there's hard to get this many people playing together, but if there's ever a game to experience or to check out, it's this one for VR. Oh, I go man. Well, Christian, uh, I didn't do it. Ben opened the door to VR. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and walk through that 
and and talk about a there's three VR games that I played at E3 that all really impressed me. Can I just uh, pause real quick? Yeah. This was Jeff. I'm going to talk about two games I like and then open the door to you guys. Okay, Ben, you mentioned one. Okay, great. Now I'm going to talk about VR. <laughs> I didn't realize the door I, to VR was an entire world. It was the mushroom a, kingdom of VR. You guys, ben, you can talk about two games. Oh, that one game had VR in it? Okay, Ben, shut up. Shut up, shut up. Uh, well, so. you, can, you can bring up a game and then I'll circle back no, to No, 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 no. I, I want to talk about Star Tiled with you as well. So yes. We've also okay. Me too. Me too. I like that game. I'm, I'm on board with you. In Dallas. Uh, so there's three, there's three VR games. Let's start with Star Child because um, here's the thing. I, I, I'm even guilty of this as well. Sitting there in the Sony uh, press conference and they do like the little PSVR segment and they show, I don't know, four or five games back to back just in their little, you know. You mean bowl. the Vita corner? I still call that the yeah, Vita corner. We have three pillars, except yeah. for this pillar we hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, you know, they showed a fair amount of games that had not been talked about yet. But I think I, I certainly looked at them and went, oh, okay. All right. Well, I mean, Skyrim is exciting. Um, and then, you know, the other ones are also interesting, but they just don't show well in that context, man. You don't understand what's special about them when you see a 2d trailer case in point is star child, which is this very traditional 2d platformer action platformer puzzly game, uh, that looks like a game, you know, we all have played a million times since the eight bit and 16 bit era where you're a little character on a screen and you're moving left to right and you're jumping on stuff and you're moving things around and you're getting through. Why does that need to be in VR? Well, experiencing it is a completely different thing because uh, what if you could play a 2D platformer like that, but you could turn your head to the right and look down the lane and see what's coming at you? Or your character is walking behind things or you're inside this giant chasm with all kinds of really interesting, beautiful things. Or Jeff, you stand up and look down and you're playing it isometric. What? Hmm? Yeah. We were all blown away by this game, right? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, I don't know if it's a game yet. I, I feel like the two-minute thing that was super impressive, I talked to them and I tried to press them and maybe I will. I'm going to be in Texas the end of the summer and I might shoot over to Dallas to try to see if I can like see game. Because it was one, it was like two little puzzles and I was like, what is, is this Metroid? Is this Castlevania? What's my combat? Is And they were like, we're, you were talking about all that later, but look at this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great, but what is this? And I think that's my question. But as a demo of like showing VR and that 2D side-scroller type gameplay, what they did with it was was incredible. And you can really like look at the character like i I, you know the 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 more you lean in you're like oh my god this little samus aaron looks like a an action figure like it was the detail level this is this is playful right these are the uh lucky's tail lucky's tail folks they obviously know how to deal with vr i mean lucky's tail for all of its uh, ultimately, some of its flaws in terms of it being a, a start to finish video game technically did some incredible things. And this is kind of carrying that to the next level. But I agree 100% with what Christian's saying. I don't know what the game is. I mean, I like the kind of diorama and the kind of ant farm part of it, but but I don't know what I'm doing because the, the part where you just move batteries around or whatever – that wasn't as interesting as when a giant spider scuttled out and then a mech threw his arm down and then I jumped into a mech and then the thing ended. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, I just jumped into the mech. Like this is where the demo starts, right? right. Um, so it was it was a very brief look. But yeah, what a 
what a bummer that this was on stage for Sony and just it just didn't register at all. It, it just doesn't show well at all in in, in a trailer. Uh, it's it's gonna be hard to convince people of this game, I think, until we until we see something in the gameplay that really we can we can describe. I think the another game in that same category of it didn't look that impressive, but when I played it, I loved it. Is Moss? That was mm-hmm. the game with the little mouse dude. Uh, did you guys play this? Yeah, I thought it was Mouse Guard when they showed it. Yeah, did you get your little guy? Did you get your mouse? Did he's so? That's the best part so about adorable. it. To be honest. Well, no, I mean it was pretty cool. They give away these little figurines of uh, Quill, which is the name of the mouse, the little female protagonist that you control but um it it, i thought the demo was awesome uh it is basically you know you're shepherding this character through dangerous environments and you are manipulating the environment you are present like you are present in that world in fact the beginning of the demo uh quill like walks up to a little uh, pond and you can lean your face over and look in the pond and you see your reflection staring back at you in the pond which is so rad um, but the thing I think that's so clever about this game is you are controlling yourself, manipulating the environment and f- figuring out puzzles and opening paths for Quill and defending her from enemies by sort of um, preoccupying them for a little while. But you're also controlling Quill and at the same time. She's not – so you're you're doing like two things at once, kind of like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. You're doing, you're doing both of those things at the same time, which is a completely new – feeling for me in a, in a, in a game like this. And I really dug it. Yeah. It's ex bungee people too, if I remember correctly, um, and kind of going this route and it's, it's interesting. I think I listened to your anchor thing on it where you can win a switch this week, anchor.fm slash NLB. Um, that, that, uh, headspace check of controlling two things at once and figuring out a way that makes that fun and not frustrating is really cool. And this, this felt like I knew what the game was, right? Like they sat you down and you're like, okay, I see, I see where this is going. Um, I do think there's a possibility for some dexterity, um, puzzles that would be very interesting, right? Like depending on how pressure filled a moment gets and you're trying to do two things at once, I might, uh, <laughs> I might rip off my headset at some point. <laughs> And then the, the last VR game that I'll bring up, and then I'll let you guys bring up whatever you want. In fact, the uh, chat room, too, I welcome you guys bringing up any games that you want to hear us talk about, because I'm sure we won't have time to get to everything we saw. But um, I played Sprint Vector, which is the new game from Servios, the guys that did uh, Raw Data, which is still one of the best games on Vive you can get. And it's on Oculus now, too. Uh, but this is completely different than Raw Data, which is a, a multiplayer shooter. Uh, Sprint Vector is a parkour racing game, which flies in the face of everything you hear about a VR, which is you can't go fast. You can't move. It's kinetic movement doesn't work. These guys went, you know, F you. Yes, you can. Here is, here is how we do it. And it is probably the most fun I had at E3 at any point. It, it is superhero wish fulfillment writ large. You, you are right racing down these crazy tracks, leaping into the air. You can double jump. You can put your arms out in front of you and fly for short periods of time. And you're moving so fast. You climb up things and leap into the air. It is wild. I mean, I I came out of it a little sweaty, so I don't know if that's a positive or negative, but it proves you can do it fast. You're swinging your arms to move sort of like you're on a, a slalom ski, uh, you know, Nordic track type of deal. Uh, they have totally figured it out. It is a blast to play Sprint Vector. 100% disagree, Mr. Oh, no! I could not stand the game. Oh, I had, no! a, I mean, I, I get where they're going with it, but I had a much different experience. I, I feel like 
you know, this, it was kind of confusing to even figure out exactly where you were going. Like when I was trying to jump over things, it never, it didn't, it wasn't registering very well. There were certainly fleeting moments when I played it where, you know, you were kind of flying a little bit and it felt really good and like, okay, I'm in the air. I get it. But it just it, climbing up things. I was like not gripping things correctly when I was trying to, you know, grab onto walls. Um, I don't, I don't, I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done there to get people to really buy in. I mean, it, the conceptually kind of like moving fast and having these races is cool, but I just didn't, I, it didn't feel like there was enough there other than time trials for me to really kind of buy in on it. I also had, again, speaking of bad demos, a really rough experience with this game at the E3 Game Critics Week where they had all of us critics there and they had this game and like the CEO came out. And they had probably 30 employees from Servios in this room screaming at us, <laughs> screaming at us as we were playing it. So I had my headset on and I'm like trying to race against, you know, Jeff Gerstman or, or you know, Greg Miller or whoever else was there. And and they're like yelling at me as I have this thing on like, go, go. Yeah, you're going to win. You're going to win. I'm like, stop. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't be yelling at someone when they're playing a video game. Like, just let them play a video game. So so maybe that colored it a little for me, like a bad demo, you know, can really affect it. But um, I don't know, man. It's a tough sell. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, what did you want to bring up? Well, I'll hit one more VR game while we're in it. It was over at um, Indiecade, and it was called Stifled. Uh, I don't know how big the team is. There are just two people there out of Singapore, I believe. And it's a really cool take where you are in – it's a horror game, as so many are, and it's minimalist. So uh, all you see are – it's kind of like Tron-esque graphics or whatever. But you're walking, and it's pitch black. And in order to see, to create a sound echo, think Daredevil, you have to push a button and like there's a button for a little cough or a long cough or when you walk, that also registers sound and it creates the echo so you can see the outline of the world around you. Uh, in the demo, you're in a sewer and there's a monster pursuing you. And so it was this really kind of cool cat and mouse game where in order to be able to see, you had to make noise. But every time you made noise, the monster would know where you are. And even running, wow. when you run faster it creates more noise. So the monster sees where you are. So like if a monster's near you, do you run away and hope to get away or do you walk in the dark and then, but maybe end wow. up in a dead end where the monster has you cornered? It also, if you have a headset on uh, with a mic input, it picks up your voice. So if you're like, playing like, oh crap, it will like register that and the monster will come and get you. They said the game is completely done. They're working out contract stuff now. It's going to be PSVR. It's going to be everything is their goal, um, Vive and Oculus. But it was really cool. I thought the minimalist approach of kind of black and white outlines for the sound. I, I asked them if narratively, if they justify why that's the world. And they're like, kind of. <laughs> um, but it's <laughs> a really terrifying. it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really It was really cool. Anything else? Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what else do you guys want to bring up? Non-VR games. There's a type of game that I love, and I guess you could call it a third-person action narrative-based game, and Sony has been knocking those out of the park, in my opinion, recently. Uncharted, The Lost Legacy. Holy crap, Ben, did you watch the Behind Closed Doors? I think they're doing it live Tuesday if... if uh, you know, you weren't there, but uh, did you did you watch this? Did you see this playthrough, Ben? I did. A lot of explosions, a lot of blowing up. Things were blowing up everywhere. There's a lot uh -huh. of gunfights. You're saying it like you don't like Uncharted. Game. I do like Uncharted. I just sort of, I don't know. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit of what Jeff feels about Mordor, about Uncharted, where I kind of got like, Uncharted 4 was such a masterpiece, and I just felt like it just summed it all up and tidy a little bow on top, and I feel like, ah, good. And now I'm like, wait, I got, okay... 
now I'm doing this thing again. Like, I just, maybe I'm not ready for it yet. I mean, it looks beautiful. I'm not going to, boy, Naughty Dog, I mean, they're, you know, they're the best. So I'm, I'm not going to argue with anyone digging it, but it just yeah, kind of wasn't my jam. What did you like about it so much? Oh, I, I, I love that they showed it looking like Uncharted. Afterward, I talked to Josh Shear, who's, I think, the co-writer of the game, and I kind of picked his brain one-on-one about how they approach this thing and how big of a game it became and why is it this huge thing now when originally it was announced as like a small dlc campaign and i love that it's chloe and nadine and kind of these two side characters that were just basically character foils for nate in their various games where they would reflect different parts of his character and now you have them together and it seemed like how they played off each other even in just like the 10 and 15 minutes they showed where it's these two very different characters teaming up and i i love that odd couple approach um, those were some of my favorite moments of Uncharted 4, where you saw Nate, and, and basically Uncharted 2 as well, where you see Nate with a character that doesn't go along with his just like, I'm on an adventure, yo! Um, and so I thought this this segment they showed was a nice mix of classic Uncharted gameplay of climbing, uh, third-person cover, action gun play, but then also a set piece with this this truck just demolishing through a level, and it looked just so gorgeous as they were doing it. I mean, it's... No expense spared, it seems, in terms of pushing that engine to, to look as beautiful as Uncharted 4. So to me, I'm super excited. It's two characters I loved. I get to learn more about them. And this is the first time they showed it like, yes, this is Uncharted. Whereas the PlayStation Experience reveal was like, this is Chloe walking down a hallway. <laughs> yeah, I do. exciting. I do like the characters. I agree with you there. And I think it's also really nice seeing, you know, characters you're not familiar with to women who are playing a game, you know, or stars of a game like this. Obviously, we've seen Laura Croft. But like, it's not just more, you know, indestructible Nathan Drake. Now it's two indestructible women. And that's kind of cool. It's a new, you know, kind of uh, approach for Naughty Dog. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think lore wise and sort of like character wise, I agree with you, but maybe gameplay. I, j- I feel like I just got my fill last year. Like I just, I just ate, I just ate that, that enchilada. I don't know if I want another enchilada, but I'm so ready. And the other one that I'll bring up before we pass it to other things, Days Gone, I thought that. It looked beautiful during their presentation and then behind closed doors or the theater presentation they showed was played from a different time of day. It was snowing. They went a different route. They kind of showed you some of the improvisation that's available in that game. And that is just stunningly beautiful. I can't believe that it's a PlayStation 4. I, I just can't. It's 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 jaw-dropping. I think it's Unreal 4. Um just just beautiful and again it's that same type of gameplay that i love so much where that game might fall flat for me if the story doesn't deliver i'm not sure if your protagonist how interesting he'll become over the course of the game in that demo he looked a little bit of like (laughs) to put it as a sound but i thought in terms of gameplay it looked really cool the way you could approach you know breaking into that camp at least two very different ways yeah, but I I totally agree. Days Gone really impressed me. I I did not anticipate that game to to be uh sort of one of the games I came out of the show excited about. I'm we I think sadly one of the themes of this episode is all the things we're sick of, <laughs> but uh, I'm sick of zombies, quite frankly, and uh I didn't think that Days Gone was going to, you know, make me excited because just another game of zombies I don't need. But all of the other things going on, it really feels to me like Uncharted and The Last of Us had a baby, and that baby is is days gone. And uh, although they are using Unreal Engine, it's not the the uh, Naughty Dog Engine, um, but it's it's really good looking. It, it, it seems like it's going to have a lot of really fun gameplay elements that that we know and love from those games. It's got like that stealth stuff that from Last of Us, 
I mean, I guess Uncharted has stealth as well, but it just, it, it looks really good. Really good. Just to, um, uh, just to kind of, uh, point out that we're not Sony fanboys here, uh, Detroit, I, you know, listen, it looks beautiful. Um, but I, I'm still really skeptical about this video game, Detroit Become Human. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so alluring, you know, like it looks so pretty yeah. and this the kind of concepts are so alluring, but I feel like I've just been kind of let down by David Cage and his company before, and it just could happen again. And um, I think when you said, you know, we're talking about things we're sick of, I think that's a little indicative of E3. Like there, there were the baseline in terms of quality is maybe as high as it's ever been. Definitely. Like I didn't see a lot of bad games right. where I was like, Ooh, that's bad. Like bad mistake. This is going to suck. It was more like there weren't a ton of games that were, mind blowing, you know, like for all the flaws of a game like Spore <laughs> and boy were there a lot of flaws in a game like Spore. <laughs> uh for years that was the kind of stuff that powered E3 was like Star Wars Galaxies and Spore and these like just ambition, no man's sky, ambition, ambition, ambition. Even if they fall flat, they they get your mind going to cool places. Um I think that there wasn't a lot of that this year. So uh, the, you know, sick of was was going to be sort of a, a, a an inevitability, I think, Jack. It also me. I think for me, also, it it highlights the games that really are doing something different, and those stand out so much more. I mean, you have a conference like like Microsoft's where they're showing you know game after game after game, and then all of a sudden, the last night is there, and all of a sudden, uh, an Artful Escape is there, and it's like, whoa, look at that! It's like a breath of fresh air. And Artful Escape, I I got to play uh, at the show as well behind closed doors, and that game. It's going to be – I don't think it's a, a game that's going to provide challenge. It is not about that. It's not going to be you know the hardest platformer you've ever played. It's more of those you know just go through this and have an experience. But it's the coolest idea. Dude, the idea of An Artful Escape is what if David Bowie had to go to an alternate dimension to discover Ziggy Stardust? Like it's, it's all about you as this artist having to travel to another dimension to find your stage persona. It's an awesome idea. So those kinds of cool games and different takes and an art style that isn't like everything else, those really, I think, stand out against a tapestry of things that all become a little homogenized. Yeah, and it wasn't a great show for indie games. I feel like in the past, especially Sony, you know, several years ago, had all these indie developers literally on stage at their at their press conference. And this year, we didn't see a ton of that, at least not 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 big. Artful Escape looks ridiculous and beautiful. And I don't know, again, yeah, if it's going to be any fun, it wasn't super fun, but it was rad at the yeah, same time. Yeah. Um, interestingly, one of the games, you know, we've been we're talking a lot about Sony, but like one of the games that I was skeptical about last year and played this year, and I just, I had so much fun with, with Sea of Thieves. I had I fun. Agree. I agree. It's, I had it's so much be, fun. It's going to be so fun. It's a game that you watch a trailer and you're like, I mean, actually, I think the trailer they showed was was captured the fun, but it's, an, it's a game that you, you kind of don't, what are we even doing? But it's it's just a playground to be silly with your friends, and it adds a lot of silliness, and I, I think that game is going to be a blast. I burned a half hour playing that game with four strangers or three strangers or whatever, and I did, I felt like five minutes went by. Yeah. Like I got up and I was like, "What do you talk? What, what do you mean we're done?" And he's like, "Yeah, that was dude. That was thirty minutes." And I looked down at my watch. I'm like, "Oh my god! Like, wait, we just got the sails up and we just landed <laughs> on the island. We patched the hull. Like there was water flooding in, and I patched the hull. And I was, and it, it's there's, it's rare." 
like you got to step back and go right this is rare like yeah. they know they know how to do this stuff um obviously you know the co-op kind of only this kind of concept of having to co-op your way through a game like this is daunting for gamers of a certain age who maybe don't have a million friends sitting around all the time you know right. i have a i have a child and a wife so when i get out to play i can't always coordinate it the way that i would like to um but in terms of just sheer dumb like if look if the three of us and you know we're we're just playing that game right now i guarantee we would all be like laughing and something yeah. ridiculously cool would happen and that's you can't say that about every at every video game I, and i love that people are making games where the goal is to make you laugh with your friends i mean that's that's cool that's really a new kind of thing i think in a lot yeah. of ways um we got lots more games to talk about i do need to thank our second sponsor which is mac weldon I tell you, I think you guys can probably relate. Uh, walking around in the middle of June in Los Angeles, walking from place to place with a bunch of thousands and thousands of uh, excited, sweaty gamers is not entirely pleasant all the time. And I will be real honest, uh, it's mostly my crotchular region that uh, I have the most uh, discomfort. But this year, I reached for my Mac Weldon's because Mac Weldon believes in better undergarments for you. They have underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies and sweatpants. These are really, I think, the most important items that you can wear, but often the the items that people give the least amount of thought to because, uh, you know, you just go to the store and you buy this pack of 27 underpants and you're good to go. No. You want to feel good walking around E3 or walking around anywhere in your life? Get yourself something that uses premium fra fabrics that has antimicrobial elements that means that it's not going to stink. It's going to feel good. Oh, I was so happy this year that I was wearing my Mac Weldon's. I saved them. Washed, did my wash before E3 week and I saved it for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to have my Mac Weldon's on because I knew I was going to feel the best and, and I was going to take care of the, the part that I care about most. Macrotular region. Uh, <laughs> was that not clear? Do I need to specify that? Um, they look good. They feel good. And they're easy to buy. You don't have to go to a big store and you have to waste an afternoon. Just do it online. In fact, if you go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and use our promo code DLC, you'll get yourself 20% off. Hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, honestly, these are my favorite underpants to wear. I, I wear the boxers. I know Christian has some of the uh, boxer briefs. They got all trunks, baby trunks. trunks. Excuse me. They're on right now. Trunks. Keep me trunks. Junk. You got junk in that trunks? Uh, no, just prized possessions. Okay, cool. Um, so do it. Go to MacWeldon.com. Use that promo code DLC. Upgrade your basics. Feel better. Smell better. Look better with MacWeldon.com. All right, we're back moving through E3 games. Um, there are so many things that I played that I think most people, you know, it's un, un, what is it? What am I trying to say? Uh, gems. Crotular? Is that what you're Crotular. trying to say? <laughs> That's good. Uh, hidden gems. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, one of them is Ashen. I was impressed with Ashen, which is another game from Annapurna. Annapurna is doing um, Artful Escape and Gora Goa, some of the best games at the show, I think. 
Ashen uh, is like this role-playing game that kind of feels a little bit like Journey. You're matched up with people that you don't get to choose. It just sort of randomly does it. And you communicate them, c- communicate with them only by playing the game. And there's things that require teamwork. So it's sort of like forced cooperation, which is cool. But it's also got like Dark Souls-style combat where the item that you pick up de- determines your attack animations and stuff. Really interesting game. Really cool art style. So I'm, I'm digging Ashen. Um, Starlink? Starlink, dude. Mm. That's a game that a lot of people are writing off because they're like, oh, Toys to Life. Toys to Life is stupid. I'm writing it off because those toys look great, but they're big. These are not little uh, Disney Infinity size characters or even little Skylanders vehicles. These are like they're toys. ships. Yeah. Full toys. Man. You it looks this, great, though. Yeah, and well, and you strap them to your controller. It's like the, the guy's controller is like – I saw them demoing it on an Xbox controller, and it was like this giant spaceship literally just like connected to this controller. It well, you the- can – it starts giant, but you can make it even giant. There's no limit to how much <laughs> – many of the little modular bits you can put on. If you buy – uh, the the uh, multiple starships you can like take their wings off and keep adding wings to the thing they stack and stack and stack and stack and they do this really cool thing in the video game it just adds weight to your ship and in real so, life it adds weight to your controller yeah yeah <laughs> no, and awesome. if you play like me it adds weight to your crotchular regions because <laughs> yeah, i, you know, you I hold my controller in that area and so i it, was, it felt a little awkward in a way but um you know what? I mean, it, the game looks good. That's yeah. the, oh, that's the that's the thing, right? Like Skylanders, everyone gives them grief or whatever. Too many of them, but like, there's a reason why Skylanders tended to do better than Disney Infinity. It wasn't because you know they did a better job with the figures so much as it was like the game is just kind of a better made video game. And I felt that that way with Starlink. Like, this is a I want to fly these ships. I yeah. want to fly around. I was blown away by the video game because you feel like the game's going to be an afterthought, but it it's it it looks like No Man's Sky that I wanted the No Man's Sky with actual action and and excitement and fun and story, uh, like it, way it fewer awesome. planets, but that same yeah, idea seven. of you know space space combat, landing, land combat, actual things you're doing. Was it was seven planets, ten planets, yeah, seven, seven. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a full world, I think, because of that. So you don't have a gazillion things to do, but you're constant, or places to visit, but you're constantly doing something because of that. Like, I think Far Cry 5 looked beautiful. Absolutely. I talked about it longer on, uh, I did a bonus episode of at least 20 more minutes, uh, last week, whenever that was. I thought it looked beautiful, but walking away from Ubisoft's booth, I think Starlink was the thing of, if you guys talking about things don't surprise or, you know, they're all the same type of game. Like that to me was, that was the game at Ubisoft. Like, yeah, Assassin's yeah. Creed, fine, whatever. It's he's huge, big. It's like eh, it's Assassin's Creed. Never been my favorite Starlink. I was like looking at my shelf in my head, like crap. Where are these going to go? <laughs> yeah. How are they going to sell these? No. How am I? Ugh. I saw the trailer and I was like, oh my god! If I was ten, I would love this. And I then I saw the game. In you know, went behind closed doors with the game, and I was like. I don't need to be 10. I genuinely love this and want this. Like, I, this is awesome. It's really bold. I mean, that company did such a great job of, 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 again, like what I was saying with Mordor, like, um, sorry, Shadow of War. Um, they were both safe and risky at the same time. Like yeah. their portfolio has some, these known quantities like Far Cry 5, which even that game has some controversy, right? With this whole Montana sure. kind of vaguely, you know, this fundamentalist or culty or alt-right, whatever you want to call it kind of vibe to it 
And then you've got Assassin's Creed, which pushes it a little bit in terms of the RPG, but it also feels just like Assassin's Creed. You've got Starlink. You've also got um, Skull and Bones, which is like this, you know, ship to ship pirate combat thing, which I I, I played it, had fun, and I had no idea if I'm going to have fun when I play it. Like, is it going to be For Honor or is it going to be Sid Meier's Pirates? Like, that's what everyone can't decide. I think For Honor. That's my gut is it's For Honor. Me too. And I'm I'm not as enthusiastic about that as I would be like, I want to blow stuff up and then get off the ship. And then, oh, wait a minute. That's Black Flag. I already played that game. <laughs> it was like, great. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game. So like I could go for more of that. But when you look at all their games, South Park, like Beyond Good and Evil 2, like they're just, they're firing on all cylinders. They're trying. They're trying yeah. real, real hard to be able to like make their money on their franchises, but also do some new stuff and like kudos to them. Well, let's let's talk about Beyond Good and Evil 2 because you got to go behind closed doors with that and see the thing that's playable? The air quote game? It's a, is it a <laughs> yeah. game? It's the best heard, movie I heard... saw at E3. The best movie. I, don't, I did it, not see anything else after that. No doubt. It, I'm very excited about the movie. Uh, but we also heard Michelle Ancel say day zero. We're on day zero of development, which is like – what <laughs> i took a job with them by the way i signed up yeah i've added game dev to my i'm literally helping them make it it's pretty <laughs> they're gonna need the help um <laughs> i it's what 10 years i think it was when we first or nine years or something when we first caught wind of it i think it's gonna take another nine for them to finish this video game it is so what did you see so i i was it was kind of shuffled into a room with with michelle and uh one or two other people from his very you know small kind of group of kind of his inner circle, they had all this concept art all over the walls of this room. And okay, that sounds stupid, but it was beautiful concept art. And a lot of it was sort of like with the characters that you saw and like all these other aliens and characters that they've sort of designed that we we haven't seen yet. And it was really them kind of pointing out that this is a big universe that they're working on. This isn't just sort of a, st- a character driven small story. This is really a big this is a big project. And what I saw in terms of gameplay was a tech demo. So this was the ship, um, you know, where a lot of the action sort of took place uh, in the trailer. But it was like a ship inside of a ship, inside of another ship. It was sort of a Russian nesting doll ship situation. Nesting, kind nesting of, ship? Yeah, oh, Russian no. nesting ship to show the scale of the ships. And then, like, the monkey, the gorilla monkey thing, flew out of the ship on this jetpack and then flew around the ship. And again, it was just sort of proving the scale of the ship. And then kind of flew down into the city. What did and it, it look was, like? Yeah, did like, it look it, like the trailer? Um, no, it was rougher. It was a little bit rougher. So, no, those graphics were not those graphics. I mean, the trailer was, was, was you know, that was, that, that was it built. It was Pixar. It was better than Pixar. It was stunning. Right. I would watch I would watch an hour. I just saw Cars 3 last night and forget it. I would watch an hour and a half of Beyond Good and Evil 2's trailer. I mean, that it looked better than a Pixar movie. Um but no. So I mean, you know, the character looked like like the gorilla or the ape uh monkey. It looked like that, but but when they were flying around, it just looked like a, a flying around in a video game. Like it didn't have that kind of sheen, right? It's that rough. And like the city wasn't really populated. There wasn't really anything to do there. There weren't missions to trigger. It's not even that far along. But what they showed off was sort of – it was sort of like that No Man's Sky thing where like, all right, there's a day-night cycle, but it's guided by the way that this planet is rotating the sun and, you know, like 
they have no control over it. Like there's going to be times where, you know, another planet lines up in a way in front of it and causes an eclipse. And that's just totally natural. And you can go from one planet to another by literally flying there, but it's like almost a real time flight. It's not like we had all of, all of of those exhausting, right. So all of those exhausting concepts, like from kind of Peter Molyneux, like talk, was in this demo and it was both incredibly exciting and incredibly alarming on, on one side. It's like, this is going to be a really big project on the other side. It's, this is going to be a really big project. My and daughter's going to love it when she's my age playing it. Like, your daughter's <laughs> going to work on it. I mean, like, shit, that was, you know, at the end of their thing where he's like, and, you know, we're going to have everybody who's going to work on the project. We're going to have, you know, people are going to come in and make <laughs> games. And everyone's like, wait a minute, wait, is this a Kickstarter? Or is this a GoFundMe? I don't get it. It's like, no, they really, they want people to contribute to building the world. That's not okay, really, in a way. Maybe it's okay. I don't know. But it leaves all these question marks. I, right. I, I don't, I'm sorry if I can't be more, uh, I, I can't really explain it better than that. But it was like, so like one example was like there were, two cities on this planet and they were traveling from one city to another. And he like flew his ship and was flying the ship. And it's like a really mobile ship. Like he's doing kind of loop the loops and twirling around, but there were like trading lanes where there were other ships flying. And it felt like, imagine you were playing a star Wars game and you could fly from, you know, two different cities on Tatooine that were actually trading between them. So it was like a trade route. And there were different kinds of ships and you saw them going and you could like, you know, get into some stuff between them, I guess, presumably. So there are these concepts there that make your kind of brain wander into, ooh, there's trading routes and that means I could trade and now I can maybe attack one of these ships and be piratey. Like, I don't know where that begins and ends and I don't think they know where that begins and ends. That's why I don't think we're going to see this game next year. I just – I don't think we're going to see it until 2019 at best. I don't know how it's beyond good and evil too. I mean, there's a pig guy. But like Beyond Good and Evil, my daughter watched me play the re-release of it when she was like two. So, you know, not super aware, but like had some screen time. And it's like, I I like that game. And that game is super family friendly, aside from a couple of instances. You're taking pictures is pretty much what I did with her. You're running around this very simplistic world. I'd mentioned this to you, Jeff, uh, I think between appointments or whatever. Like, I'm wondering how much this was shown as like a, hey, Vivendi, when you buy us, this is a, this is a money pit. Sorry, we announced it. It's public. Like you got to keep working on it or some move to like get it out before that takeover. Like I don't want to get too much into that business side of this thing, but I just don't understand how this is beyond good evil too. I don't understand how it ties into that. They say it's a prequel. Um, but like that monkey or whatever, you know, that character was so foul mouthed. The world seemed so dirty and so cruel and vicious. And I just don't. I don't know. I'm super excited, but I just don't. That is my biggest head scratcher leaving, uh, leaving E3 is like, what, what is this? And then my other biggest head scratcher is how am I going to justify buying a Xbox one X? Because I really want one, but I don't know why, but God, that in terms of hardware, that is so sexy. <laughs> well, we, we should definitely talk about that, but I, I just want to kind of wrap up this BG and E2 thing because, um, it, it does sound really exciting, but I feel like every time, again and again and again, when we have these visionary creators, these artists, these guys who really fancy themselves as artists and are using the medium to express something, like Michelle Ansel clearly is, they often start talking in these terms that exactly what you're saying, Ben, which is 
not really having anything to do with what I'm actually going to be doing in the game, but it's these crazy systems that it get them excited, you know, like you're going to learn love, love is going to be in the game. And, you know, to quote a Molyneux, but you know, these grandiose ideas of how the planets relate to each other and how, you know, day night cycles go and how shadows are. And it's like, well, but okay, that's not anything. That's that is that is the backdrop upon which you place something, and you don't have the something. Um, and and it worries me when you hear discussion of these grandiose visions this early, because we've just seen time and time and time again that when the rubber hits the road, it's like, oh, when we added the game layer, we couldn't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was the old uh, the old uh, fable thing where he's like, you know, you get a scar as a child, you trip yeah. over a rock and you can get a little scar on your yeah. your cheek. And then when you're an adult, that scar could become infected. And now it's like, you're like, what do you, you accidentally is- drop an acorn? And then 30 years later, it's a tree. It's and a you- tree. And the yeah. tree is now where your home is. And you know, <laughs> we added a uh, Miyamoto impression to this, just so I can make you all just very horribly insensitive with accents. We've done <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of these um, bad ac- uh, accents if you did anymore. I'm for hire. Um, That's the game, actually. The gameplay is the accent. <laughs> that is the- <laughs> bad game developer accents. Um, yeah, I, it's, it, it is. It's, it's the thing that you worry about. And because I'm an idiot, it's the thing that I go to E3 for. Like, no, you're right. I, you're I'm, so I'm, right. Lie to me. Lie to me. Yeah. Like No Man's Sky. Keep lying. Bring no, I, don't even, I don't even think it's a lie. I, I think I think in, they fully intend to do that. And when they can't, they're just as disappointed as we are. But yeah. we are more disappointed because we didn't see the reasons why they can't, you know? And, right. And that is a bummer. And I, I like you. Yes, th- I love this stuff, and I love swinging for the fences, and I love for you to say, "No, in this video game, you, you know, th- we're gonna do things that you've never seen possible." And it's like, well, other people tried too, because there's a reason it's not possible, guys. But I want, you know, I want there to be these people that are really swinging for the fences. But what worries me is when a bunch of fans, myself included start thinking about that game and then five years go by and they're like, where did that game go? And then it becomes the, the game that we are hoping to see at E3 every year. You know, it's, it, it, Hey, we got the last guardian baby. You know, we haven't got got half-life three, but we got the last guardian. We're never going to get Shenmue three, but like we're at a 50, 50 right now. Maybe we'll get this game. Yeah. Right. Um, (laughs) Sony will announce it four years from now again, and they'll be like <laughs> Kickstarter, yeah. and then it'll never. Come I mean, out. I think I think uh, Last of Us Two is going to be that for a few years. People are going to be like, "This is the year, Last of Us Two." No, it's still two years away. Whatever you know, The Last of Us Two years away. That's what yeah. the two stands for. That's what Prime <laughs> Four is going to be four years away at every, any given moment. <laughs> that's uh, what the numbers mean. I that's love what it. they mean. Um, but you brought up uh, Xbox One X, and we talked about it in our, you know, ex- special episodes. Um, we did, uh, Christian and I did After two. the press conference, yeah. yeah. But let's bring them up again, because I got a bunch of feedback, uh, including an email that was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com from Cedric, who says he's been a longtime listener. And uh, said that so you'd read the email. He's lying. <laughs> he said, uh, he, It's Michelle. It's Michelle again. He's writing about Bianca and <laughs> Well, he does last uh, he referenced Stanky D, Christian, so I know okay. he's a long-time listener. He Googled me. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, he said um, he was disappointed that he didn't think we gave uh, Microsoft enough credit and that uh, they showed a lot of great variety in their games and um, that he was disappointed with Sony. And a lot of people have kind of expressed this idea of us not kind of giving enough credit to what Microsoft showed because we were so harsh on 
no real reason for the Xbox One X. And, you know, in, in the days since we recorded that throughout E3, I've been listening more to what Phil Spencer has said in interviews and uh, thinking about it a little more. And it, it, it occurs to me that maybe maybe Microsoft doesn't really care about selling the Xbox One X so much, that it really is more like, you know, we say the Appleification of the product line. And I think in a lot of ways, Apple has high-end stuff, but where they get the vast majority of their sales is the, the, the last year or two years ago iPhone that when we announce the new one, we knock $100 off the price, right? I kind of feel like the Xbox One X is there to sell Xbox One S's. And I think that maybe looking at it through the lens uh, that I tend to of newest, latest, best, of give me the most powerful thing, of I want the this awesome box – I think perhaps it's there in a way to revitalize the Xbox brand and to say, you're going to get all of this amazing stuff. There's going to be people playing it at 4K, yeah, but you can have it for 250 bucks right now. And this is how exciting our product line is that we have the most powerful box and all the games on it are going to be available at a box that's only 250 bucks. And it's really about selling more Xbox One S's so buy. it's the 4 GT, and then I go in and buy a Fiesta. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, lo- I love the Fiesta. I'm not calling the Xbox One S a Fiesta. That's a fantastic car, by the way. It's not, it's it's 92 leaded gas, right? Like, you yeah. go, you, you, like they have that 92 there, and if you have a brand new car, you put the 92 in it. But if you have, like, a normal car or an old car, you put 87 in it, right? Because you just want right. to get it going. So, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, Jeff. I think that they are – they are looking at this as a luxury item. They know it's a luxury item. When you talk to them about it, they don't – They don't approach it like this is for everybody. They're not like this is the everybody system that they do point to the S as that they're like, go get the S and I have an S and it's awesome. And it's got a great big hard drive on it. And it's, you know, plays games in HDR and it look, it's cool looking because it's like stylishly small. So I kind of look at the X as like with, without a killer app that isn't Forza that already looks incredible on a lower end box. I don't really know what's what's driving me to spend that money on it. Now I'm an early adopter. I'm a nerd. I have a 4K set, but I'm still like that's a lot of money for I don't know what I'm getting totally um, that I can't get out of this you know smaller. But smaller I think box. I don't think they're trying to sell it to us, those of us that already have Xbox Ones. I think they are saying here we're, we want more people to get in the Xbox world, and we're giving them two ways in, mm-hmm. and and I think that it's. It, what I thought it was and what I was hoping it was because I already have an Xbox One is this awesome upgrade that I, that will get me amazing new capabilities. And in a, in a large sense, the PlayStation 4 Pro kind of was that just because I was so excited about VR that I wanted more power for my PSVR, right? And so I was happily jumping in to give a little more fidelity to my VR experience because it means so much to me. With with the Xbox One X, I don't – I think it's more like, hey, do you, do you want to join the Xbox family? Do you not have an Xbox? Here's a way to do it and do do 4K, get the most powerful system, make your games look the best they can possibly be. So if you're thinking about getting an Xbox, it's the same way about thinking about getting an iPhone. It's like, oh, do I get the Plus or do I get the regular? You know, the Plus, I don't need the Plus. It doesn't do anything extra really, uh, but it's bigger and prettier and nicer and maybe I'll get the, do the extra couple hundred dollars. I think that's the same idea. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it's moving the needle as much as, you know, the most powerful console in history makes it sound like, you know, like it the, the, the when the rubber meets the road on that thing, you know, if you have to have a great set, you have to be sitting a certain distance to really notice it. You have to also make sure that you're in 4K, that you're running in HDR. Like that was a big question I had for them is when I set up my my PS4 Pro, I I like had no idea if it was working right, like Am I in 4K? Is this <laughs> is this really? Can I flip back and forth to see the right. graphics get sharper? <laughs> that Halo I... anniversary, yeah, you need the button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, and no, and they were they were sensitive to that. When the 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 spokespeople I spoke to at Microsoft were like, "Yeah, we want to make sure that that's part of the installation. Like when you're setting it up, you know, you like push a button or you flip to a, an input or some source and it, it, it says, yes, you're there. This is the, welcome to the future. You've it's better arrived. reassuring you. It's better. It's we definitely promise. better right now. Cause you, the power of positive thinking can make, can make you look at a game like the last guardian, you know, I think I'm playing it in 4k, but like I'm not or HDR or whatever. And then, and then you just look at it. You're like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like, I want this to look better. That was the so, worst thing about, I went to before horizon zero dawn came out. I went to that, a press event where they were showing it and there was a, a bunch of TVs like all lined up in this big room and all the different media guys were playing their games. And I was, because I didn't need to capture footage, they put me on the 4K HDR set, but I was literally sitting directly next to somebody on a regular PS4 with the game playing in 1080p. And I was turning, and we were, we both started the game at the exact same moment. So I was turning my head back and forth, back and forth. So I had a one-to-one and I was like, Oh my God, the HDR makes such a difference. But when I'm at home playing it, I don't, I don't know what I'm missing. There's no, there's no sense that it, cause it looks great in 1080p, right? But with the HDR on a one to one comparison, I was like, Oh my God, the game looks like garbage on regular PS4. You know? Yeah. And I mean, and the game I thought that they had at their press conference that, that was the most exciting was that Metro. Whatever the hell that was, I don't know how much of that was gameplay or trailer. It was that looked a to me clear. Well, it did not look like a gameplay, but no, not me neither. But, it but like it a was stunning a, trailer. Yes, definitely. yeah. But that kind of thing is like okay. Well, well, we need something like that to to get me going. Like, oh my god, guys, it wasn't a trailer. That's how. That's a real rat thing. And look at it's <laughs> moving in real time. And look yeah. at oh my god. But like then I have to be able to play that on my. 2010 Xbox One or whenever the heck it came out. That's that's the thing, and that's the thing that makes me sad about this amplification or whatever it is. Is like I think that X is so powerful, um, you know, and priced appropriately, and but hard to build a PC that necessarily gets all those same specs for that price. Like it feels like it could be a, a generation leap in terms of what this thing can deliver, especially if you have a 4K set. But now I'm just wondering how hamstrung is it by the fact that I need to be able to play it on my regular Xbox One. And I know they say they're not limiting developers, but like, am I playing that Metro at 15 frames per second on my regular and you get 25 on the S and then on the X you get 60 at 4K? Like, I just, that's my question about what this thing is. And it, that's why I don't know why I want it, but I want it's it. It's like a PC, right? Like, I mean, when, when, you know, like if you're a game developer and you're developing for, for a PC audience, you know, you're going to be trying to make sure that like a, you know, PC gamer that has a sweet computer is going to be able to like, your game's going to look great on that. And then it scales down. And I think that's kind of conceptually what they're going for here. The question's going to be, you know, can, can a game developer justify whatever additional cost it's going to, you know, take to make their thing look awesome on the Xbox One X, knowing that the install base is mostly the Xbox One S and lower? 
um, it, it muddies those waters as far as like, you know, how many games other than first party are really going to go for it here. Well, I'm going to go even further than you guys. And I'm going to say something a little controversial, uh, but I think we ruined it. We, the fans of video games ruined it because I think the Xbox one was designed in a very specific way. It was designed to take advantage of cloud computing. It's all they talked about. Going into the Xbox One release was how the cloud was going to be leveraged, how the cloud was going to be leveraged for this, for that. With the power of the cloud, we're going to be able to do this and this and this. That's how they thought that machine was going to work. And everyone lost their minds and cried like babies. I'll, you know, I'm, I'll be a a hole and say it like that. And we all said, no, 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 we don't want an always on connection. And I know I'm going to get a bunch of emails of people are like, that was the right choice. They were stifling. There's people in places that don't have internet. Okay, whatever. But you look at crackdown three. I think the game played really fun. It's going to be a fun crackdown. I'm going to play it, but it's not the game they wanted to make. And the game they wanted to make required them to use this always on connection. And I think a lot of that stuff that would have differentiated the Xbox one from its competitors would have been much more impressive and much more of a differentiator if they had been able to fulfill the idea that they set out to do when they said we're creating an always-on box. It's the same thing, I believe, that would have happened if when they created the first Xbox, they capitulated to all the people that wanted it to have a 56K modem in it. And they went, no – broadband is the future. We're only going to let you play online if you have broadband. And a lot of people cried and moaned and said no. But the internet was a different place back then and people weren't as vocal and angry. And so Microsoft stuck to their guns and they completely won the next two or the next generation of hardware because they were ahead of the game on broadband and on creating an online infrastructure. If they had done the same thing and stuck to their guns and had a little spine, I think we would actually be impressed with what the xbox one could do but now they're in this weird place where like their messaging is all weird and even with the xbox one x it's like does it support vr yes no it will maybe someday no never oh wait yes and i think that they're killing themselves with trying to appease everybody rather than just sort of lead I don't know if the cloud gaming, and because we never really saw it. We saw Drivatars and the first Forza or whatever, but I don't know if that would have delivered the power that they were promising. I'm not sure even if I have my box always on, if that could have done. And I know this is like an alternate, you know, multiverse thing where Superman wears yellow. Yeah, we um, don't know for sure either way. So I'm I'm talking from a place of, of certainty that I shouldn't be either. You're right. And then, but, I, but to your point, though, I feel like that was part of Microsoft's bad messaging for the launch of the one. But I think people were outraged not just because of that. It was everything, everything about how they launched and released that console. And then without having information to back up why something would be important, a part of it. Like that thing was a mess from go. So they scrapped all of it instead of doubling down on part of it. Yeah, so I, I mean, think it's it, called it, Xbox One because it's supposed to be your first input, right? Because it has all this crazy TV functionality. Not a single mention of that. This year at E3. And I mean, there's literally no mention of why it's called Xbox One. Yeah. So I I, mean, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I don't know if that's that they're, you know, just their messaging is, is, is crummy and they shouldn't be listening to everybody and they're over listening to everybody. Or if like, you know, we, they're trying things and they're responding to the feedback. I mean, and if that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, connect is a perfect example of that. Connect 
was supposed to be this game-changing thing, right? Like the Wii introduced motion controls and now the Kinect is going to get rid of the controls. And now you're just waving your arms around and, oh my God, look, you can talk to this little boy. It's incredible. And um, it didn't quite work out at all, you know? And the Kinect was sort of key to that whole television experience and you're talking to your, your Xbox and all. And I just kind well, of feel like everybody's they, doing that, right? I mean, there's an echo in every household there. You talk to Siri, you talk, you, you, um, it's Apple. been refined. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been refined. I mean, they've, everybody else has been able to find ways to make, make that better or make it more they sensical. They completely abandoned it rather than, I feel like they were, a, could have been ahead of the game on that if they had said, okay, well, the, the thing about Connect that makes it special isn't necessarily the motion gestures, but it's the voice recognition. They could have doubled down on that, but instead they were, I think, really lame and just went, nope, okay, you don't want it. Okay, well, I guess we just stopped talking about it. Well, they're a video game. I mean, at least in this case, they're a video game company, right? I mean, not as a tech company, but, but when it comes to the Xbox, they really focus on it as a video game machine that, that part of the company is sort of, you know, cordoned off from the other parts of the company. That's kind of the thing with Microsoft. Everyone sort of builds these things on their own and then they come together at the end. Like, how did it work? Um, it's not a very integrative company. Maybe there are other companies like Apple or something that are a little more integrative with the way that they build things. Um, that's at least from what I've, I've heard from everyone I know who works at Microsoft. But I think that like, I don't think the Xbox one was going to ever be your Apple TV or your Alexa or whatever. Like, I think it was a experimental kind of throw a bunch of our tech into this X, you know, this, this Xbox, this new Xbox and sort of see what sticks. That kind of what is what it felt like to me. And yeah, we shot down some of those idea as, as rabid fans, maybe rightfully, or maybe we, uh, you know, wound up screwing out some of the power of the cloud or whatever, but the cloud hadn't done very well at that point, you know, on live was a disaster. You know, we had seen some people flirt with other kinds of cloud computing and cloud gaming that, that never felt like it ever did what we wanted it to do. Game ownership was a big issue at the time. And we wanted to make sure that we owned our games and we didn't want everything digital. And, um, I think it, it was, you're right that I think some of those ideas were ahead of, uh, ahead of their time. But I also think that maybe some of those ideas were, were not, well thought through as well thought through as they have been now. I mean, when you think of Amazon doing this, it makes sense. I'm just yelling out, I need more detergent. And then like more detergent shows up three days later. Like that's a lot better than like Xbox turn to ESPN, Uh, Xbox, ES, ESPN, Xbox, like screaming at this thing to turn the channel. This is not solving any problem in my life. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Yeah. Well, my guess, my biggest point is that there's a lot of people who have, weirdly it seems so weird to me uh, accused me and us about you know favoring sony or kind of giving them a pass and being critical of microsoft or being fanboys of sony yes two years in a row now we have given our game of show to an exclusive sony title that is a coincidence it's not because we love sony products because we legitimately thought that those two games were the best games we played at the show uh, I wish they weren't exclusives. I wish yeah. everybody could play Horizon Zero Dawn and everybody gets to play Spider-Man. I agree. That's what I'd want. They look great. And I'm genuinely rooting for Microsoft. Like I always have been. In fact, I was accused of being a Microsoft fanboy way before I was ever accused of being a Sony fanboy. So the the truth is I'm neither and you know we're we're rooting for them. Anyway, we talked just really quickly. I've been to enough E3s where I was accused of being a Sega fanboy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> an Atlas, an Atlas fanboy, an Atlas, fa- a Dreamcast fanboy. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> well, um, we, you know, we're 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 
going long here, but I don't want to end on a kind of a critical note. There are a couple of other games that we no one has brought up yet that I think deserve a mention. One of them is uh, Wolfenstein 2. Amazing. Which the the level that they showed and had us play was so cool. Like you're in a wheelchair craziness. It looks insane. And, and I think definitely one of the better games at E3 this year for sure. Did you get a milkshake afterward also? I did not get a milkshake. Did they get what? They were giving out milkshakes? They had strawberry milkshakes on the show floor, and then they also had them back in the booth some, too. I didn't even get water after my demo. They just the like, show floor, the, right the booth was awesome. It was that diner from the trailer. Really, really cool. Hmm. They said, you will have no water. You will have no milkshake. You will leave. And I was like, what? Why? Because- I was already uncomfortable going in there uh, to this <laughs> to the Nazi. <laughs> I was like, I don't need you to yell at me. Can I just can I walk out of here quietly? Don't don't do I have to get in a line? There's been a lot of lines. <laughs> Sorry, that's actually my Miyamoto impression, Christian. So okay, great. Thanks for doing it. Um, uh, any other things you want to you guys want to bring up as we as we close this out? Any other um, games that people aren't talking about or we didn't talk about enough? Minute. From Devolver. Oh. Have you, did you guys check this game out? Devolver is a whole th- – we could do a whole episode on the crazy saga of Devolver at this year's E3. But but no, I didn't get a chance to. Just God bless Devolver, by the way. Those guys are – they're still they're still just like the anti-E3, and I, I love what they do. Um, th- I saw a couple games there, um, sort of ditto, which looks pretty cool. But this game, Minute, really stood out to me. Uh, just in a nutshell, it's a black and white. 8-bit roguelike Metroidvania that you play one minute at a time. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you play it, you, you start, you like, play. Wait, don't I play every game one minute at a time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, no, literally, you play for a minute, and there's, like, a countdown timer, and no matter what happens at the end of a minute, you die. Oh. That's just, you're gonna die. And then you start over, and the only thing you keep it are your items. So if you've found, you know... The, the sword and like you know two seconds left you find the sword then when you die you're reborn and you have the sword oh, wow. but if you didn't you got to go and you have a minute to get back to wherever that thing was so the world is built in this fascinating metroid like way where you know you can't get past three screens up from you because there's a rock and it's going to take you solving some puzzles again that you do one minute at a time until the entire world resets hmm. um Crazy design, really cool. It's done by this couple who have traveled the world and they basically live in Airbnbs and they build this game kind of along the way. Uh, One of the guys is one of the co-founders, I think, of Vlambeer, who have made some very awesome indie games. Um, Sounds like they figured it out. They figured out everything about the world. I think so. They're doing it right. Anyway, it's called Minute, M-I-N-I-T. Very cool. Very cool game. Minute. Any for you, Christian? I think Call of Duty World War II will make fans happy. Um, I got killed a lot, which I feel like means that fans are happy with it. Um, it's interesting to go back to just sight lines and knowing the map and not jetpacks and boosting and stuff. But like the environmental effects are doing with that game. I don't know how the campaign is going to play out. I just played um, a multiplayer round of it. But I, I think fans of that series are going to be happy as long as they don't mess up the, the progression and leveling or, you know, add loot boxes or something like that. But what they showed on the floor seemed like everybody was really, really excited with like the hardcore COD people were really jazzed for that game. Uh, I'll just throw one last weird one into the pile. Battle Chasers Night War. Uh, really looks exciting to me. It's a throwback to uh, turn-based role-playing games. It looks gorgeous. Uh, I got to play it. It's coming out pretty soon, I think, and uh, was definitely one that I was glad to see more of. So keep your eye out for Battle Chasers Night War. 
Is that the 505? Yes. Five, yeah. Oh, that looks really pretty. Yeah, Beautiful very guy. pretty. And it's got cool, you know, sort of old school Final Fantasy or, or Grandia style combat. It's awesome. Um, all right. So that's, uh, that's E3 this year, guys. Uh, we, we talked about it. I actually have a, an interview that I did with Corey Barlog, the, um, the creative director on God of War. Uh, it's funny. Last year's episode, I also interviewed him, <laughs> but, uh, it's really, I think, a fascinating, interview i'll throw it on the end of this as bonus content uh i, I did it on my um newest latest best so if you've heard it there it's the same one but uh, i think i think you'll dig it it's pretty interesting stuff but uh what a, what a year what a crazy year what a, any last overall thoughts you want to say ben um you know long live e3 e3 is dead i mean i you know like it feels like this was a, a transitional year uh for this show and uh you know having been to to almost all of them um, had a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, whatever this turns into, which I, I, I kind of agree where we started, hopefully it'll be a public show with some business days. Um, I'm really excited at this, again, the state of games in terms of just the general quality. Games are just better. It feels like yeah. the low bar of, of those games have just been sort of raised. Like there, there's a lot of really good stuff coming. It might not be, you know, 10 out of 10s the whole way. After the year we've already had, six months in, I don't know if I could take any more 10 out of 10s. Okay. I could kind of use a couple more 8 out of 10s because, my God, I don't know how we're going to do a game of the year this year. It, it, um, it is an abundance of riches, that's for sure. And we're living in a, a really uh, great time for, for games. And it's it just shows how, you know, it's it's you're so right that in previous years, there's just a whole lot of garbage and then like five great things. <laughs> and now it seems like there's a whole lot of great things and five garbage <laughs> you know it's it's exactly. it's a wonderful place to be in christian any other last wrap-up i'm hyped there's no there's lots of great games coming lots of great games around the corner i mean there's things like destiny 2 you know like these games that we know are coming out this year that weren't even given a huge amount of time at e3 because they've already been shown but there's so many great games and i'm i'm excited i'm excited to be in it and hopefully everybody listening is excited too i still think the one game that if i could just magically have it be done and i could walk home with right now it would be anthem but uh, but there's a lot of other great stuff, too. Oh, we didn't mention that game. That's the only reason I want to bring it up. Okay, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thank you so much to Ben Silverman and Christian Spicer. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room who are here making the show better in real time. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, thanks to all of you that have downloaded the show. Also, Ben, tell people where they can keep up with you and find your things. Well, um, so I have recently um, left my uh, decade-long run at yahoo um i had worked on yahoo games i worked on yahoo tech i worked on yahoo esports rest in peace yahoo esports i actually left before uh that got shuttered um so uh, i'm still doing some writing for yahoo so i still might appear on your yahoo uh as a freelancer uh but i can't actually talk about the uh things i will be doing uh moving forward Full time on beyond good and evil 2 uh, confirmed <laughs> that's that's right i'm gonna just be designing uh uh, uh the ground i'm trying to build <laughs> there's no ground in this game yet so around yeah just gonna be making some earths um <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm gonna be pushing into some uh other aspects of the video game industry where uh as a hint where a lot of uh, game journalists go to die i might be doing some of that um some consulting stuff, some other things as well. Uh, but you can find me uh, commenting and being snarky, sadly, still being snarky, uh, Ben underscore Silverman on Twitter. Uh, that's usually where I am uh, joking around. So uh, yeah, I'll be there and I'll be uh, floating around the internets. Well, we can't wait to see what's next for you. 
You're uh, always welcome here, and we love we love having you, Christian. How about you? What do you got going on? I'll be in London doing shows. Uh, the first one this Thursday. If you're in London, I will be at Backyard Comedy Club. You can look to Twitter at Spicer for the others, and uh, at least twenty more minutes. It's a podcast I do. You can find it at Patreon.com/slash Christian Spicer. I did a hands-on bonus episode last week of some of the games I played at E3. If you want to hear more about that, uh, this week's is going to be more about the Xbox One X. I want to talk more about that, and then Department of Parenting. You can find all of that at DepartmentofParenting.com. It too is on Anchor at Anchor.fm/slash DOP. I'm giving away a switch um, on my other show, Newest, Latest, Best. It's on Anchor, anchor.fm slash NLB or on that Anchor app. If you download the Anchor app and search for Newest, Latest, Best, that's me. You can favorite that station. Um, it's If you're on an iOS device, uh, there are episodes and you can get all the collected stuff that I did for E3, which is a ton a ton of updates and, and really even a lot of games that we didn't get a chance to talk about here. So uh, hope you check that out. Also, uh, I do the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com, talking about movies and TV. And uh, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us uh, during E3. What a great year it was. We will see you next week with a regular episode. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. There it goes off into the distance for another year. I'm with Corey Barlog, creative director on God of War. And this game is going to make me cry, isn't it? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, who knows? Maybe. That would be... I'd love to elicit an emotion other than fear or anger. You right. know, I think that's a holy grail for any creative is to kind of create an experience that allows people to go through the kind of range of yeah. human emotions. I think games are very good at frustration and 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 anger uh, and even a little bit of fear. But I, I think there are several untapped markets, emotional <laughs> markets that we can really hit. Well, I bring that up that way because, and I like what you said because I really think this game for me, and maybe this isn't unfair to impose this on you, but for me it really kind of represents this progression of the entire industry it's kind of the seminal moment of like oh, maybe games, even with characters that have been kind of immature in their past can be something more can actually speak to what it is to be human and have something to say, and I was struck in the presentation that we just had, we had about a half an hour, we talked about the trailer that people have seen at the press conference, but you spoke not about how the game plays, not about how you swing an axe. You talked about character motivation almost exclusively. That was You only talked about how this character thinks and what motivates him and his son. I think that's a really powerful thing, and I, and it, I wonder if that's the motivation behind the creation of the game as well. Yeah, I mean... I spent a lot of time working with some very talented writers and directors when I was away from the studio, and they gave me a really great understanding of truly how to get into the head of the characters that you're writing, of the characters that you're directing. Uh, Opened my eyes about truly, it it felt like what I was doing was reading a book uh, that I had a very blurry vision of, and they gave me a pair of glasses, and I was like, whoa, there's so much more here than I could have ever imagined uh, and I think these are people whose, whose abilities I respect so tremendously and 
have been able to connect with audiences and you know an education that I could have never gotten anywhere else and it is so great that audiences I think are ready for this I'm seeing so many games out there where people are digging in uh, and really exposing characters that are interesting that are flawed uh, that go on very circuitous journeys to their end goal and don't always you know succeed in the sort of black and white sense of the word uh, and that's that's just so exciting. I think as a player, it's exciting. As a creative, it's exciting. Uh, because it just allows us to, I think, connect with people. Because mm-hmm. making a game is, takes a long time. I don't, I don't want to put five years of my life in something that feels like it's vapid. Yeah. You know, that it's empty. Uh, I want to feel like I'm proud of this. Yeah. Do you ever feel like the medium of video games works against you in that way? Because... You know, sometimes we, we talk about games like Uncharted that are you know, very story-based, and then now we're going to go kill 50 people for yeah. a second and then go back. I mean, God of War obviously is kind of built in that violent place, and the violence is sort of about what it is in his relationship with his kid. But do you think video games as a medium work against that at all? I don't know if it's the medium. Uh, I, I think in any situation you're going to have some cognitive dissonance when you're trying to mash some of these things together. Uh, and it really is that is the challenge I think that's where the rubber meets the road for the creative people is to kind of remedy those situations to to really I think that's where it comes to the true heart of like who is this person that you're creating what are they going through uh, because when you create that moment of truth that moment where everybody goes absolutely that's what would happen I mean there are many games that I can recall where you have that moment uh, and you're just like wow that's very powerful but it was earned yeah. Right. That earned moment of character change, small or large. Right. Uh, because I think, and as corny as this sounds, like I don't know, taking on these tasks gives people hope that change is possible. Change is hard. Change is ugly. Change is dirty sometimes, and it is damaging. Uh, but not changing is just as ugly. Right. Like I think dramatically. You, you have no drama if there is no change if there is no movement forward when you stagnate it is it is just boring right mm-hmm. but moving forward you know sometimes can to the outside observer think oh well that's disingenuous you're just slapping something on top of it but it's like not really right because at the end of it there's not going to be some magical sort of transformation he's not going to suddenly be you know carrying his son on his his shoulders and running through the park as they're <laughs> having a picnic together right like <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a hard life right the road that movie the road the, yeah. the book i mean was uh, astounding this is a good example of everything is hard earned but everything hard earned is so rewarding you know? It's exactly the reference that I made on my show when I saw after we saw the press conference. I said, "This is like the road for video games." Yeah. The book, yeah. Um, but you did talk eventually about about mechanics, and I also liked the things you were saying about giving the player a toolkit to attack a situation rather than, as you said, dial a, a combo or or uh, you know just sort of disconnecting that from the moment. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the the sort of highest level edicts we had talked about early on in the project was we really want to empower the player a lot more. Uh, I mean, it it manifests even in in the idea that in the previous games, you would hit an enemy, and the designer would determine when the circle button would circle above his head. So a little red circle button, and that lets you know, now is the time you're able to throw that enemy to engage in a context-sensitive move, that we call it. Um, And 
you know, that was really great because then we could really tune and control every experience to happen exactly how we wanted it. But it really just, for me, was difficult as a player to feel like, oh, this doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, right? It doesn't allow me to kind of make the determination. And one of the comet designers, you know, middle of the project, not really early, but it took a while for us to get here, had a great idea about really saying, let's take the circle button and let's hand it over to the player. So that means at any given time, based on some sort of uh, uh, meter that we would provide, uh, you're able to spend that meter and immediately do what we would say you could only do at a certain damage threshold, mm. right? And it sounds simple, but at the same time, like it is just opens these doors that says, look, I could run into a boss fight, and I can immediately go and grab him. It may not kill him, and most likely it won't kill him, but I'll get a nice chunk of damage. But now I've got to save all that up again. Mm. So I'm kind of in a constant state of risk-reward, right? The feast or famine of feeling like, all right, uh, Kratos is attempting to master his rage, right? So that is not only a theme throughout the story, but a theme even in the mechanics. His Spartan rage is this thing that he's essentially sort of letting boil over and then spending mm. each time. And you're determining when the right time to do it. But once it's gone, you sort of build that up again. And you kind of have to determine when is the right time to do this. Uh, it's also a lesson he's attempting to teach his son, right? Is getting mad just to get mad solves nothing. Use it. You know, I'm not going to change. I'm always going to get mad, right? But the, the, the secret that I have to, to impart onto you, Atreus, is this feeling that... You have to use it. You have to be smart. If just being mad all the time, it never got me anything. You also talked a little bit about um, your own personal life and the fact that your wife is Swedish, your son speaks Swedish or is learning Swedish at five, and you don't. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, brought into the game of, of Kratos not being able to speak or read the language in the land he's in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. 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 Uh, we had talked about having the, the kid have an ability that helped balance Kratos out, but I think we were always so focused on kind of the strict mechanical or the strict sort of combat-related thing. We found a lot of really cool things, uh, but I think there was that sort of magic moment uh, when we were reading a, a bedtime story, and my son is, you know, pointing to the, the lines of uh, in the book and saying, Papa, and so then I read it. And we kind of do the language immersion where I speak all English, he speaks all Swedish, so that he kind of really sees the, the two. Um, and I would read the line in English, and then he would look up at, at my wife and he'd say, Svenska, Svenska. Uh, and then instead of looking at her, he would look over at me while the line was being read and kind of run his finger. I don't think he knew which words were being said where, but he was essentially teaching me. Right? <laughs> that's amazing. And I was just like, that's, that's awesome. You know, like that... That, that is a, an interesting change in the power dynamic, right? right. Here's this five-year-old essentially schooling his dad. And I was like, all right, all right, that's interesting, right? Because I want this world to tell a story uh, even if we're not speaking. Even if you're walking around and what you see on the wall is a bunch of runes. And I can't read runes, right? But the kid can look at that and know exactly what it is. So I actually have to use the dedicated sun button, look at the runes, and say, read that. And then he brings me into the world right. he is drawing me in he is teaching me something uh so that while you spend a lot of the game trying to mentor and teach this kid there are times where he is teaching you he is explaining sometimes he's explaining what somebody's saying to you and you have to trust that whatever he's saying is exactly what it is right and i think there's a sort of a fantastic change in the power dynamic there well it's awesome um i appreciate you talking to me I, and this is as a new father, I, I cannot wait to play this game. I just know it's going to crush me, but uh, it looks awesome. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.